The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again <laughs> with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? My family, they'll listen to what I have to say and and uh, give their opinions, but it doesn't go any further than that. Psychedelics help too, though. Mm. I, I think yeah, I'm putting in my resignation tomorrow. She will be free tomorrow, wow. as of tomorrow. That's how I like to look at it. And yes. I will be free. We have our own way, I guess our own form of spirituality, like you said, yeah. Buffalo. four monkeys in a cage with a ladder leading up to the top of the cage where there were bananas suspended at the top. One, I'm going to start a GoFundMe for people to contribute to the finances of a movie of you being replaced as the lead in Terminator type situation. Because dude, just to see you try and save the world, just rolling up blunts while you're like riding on a motorcycle. I, I would, I really want to see this film. He really hit on a, on a massive idea here that actually is brilliant. So I, I kind of want to pick that apart a little bit. So when, whenever we talk about choice and free will, and what I've been saying from the beginning, if you want to feed into this, and a lot of people say this, this isn't just me, but for my audience, we've been going on this journey for a while. But if you want to feed into that, you're absolutely welcome to, but you don't have to. Like it's not, yeah, it's coercion, but it's, it's still your choice, right, ultimately. And to the larger scale of this, taking it to where there are people, admittingly, that don't want fuck all to do with anything extra. They want to fit in, they want to fall in line, they want to be a part of that. And that's fine. And what's interesting about it is maybe this is the ultimate kind of like play in your own yard kind of thing with this idea that people in these smart cities, which, yeah, they scare the shit out of you and the, you know, the great reset, this Klaus Schwab douchebag and all that. They can scare the shit out of you about it if you want to get scared about it. problem turns into the reaction of, well, then we have disease, we have these issues in society, we have these divides against all of us, this unauthenticity that we gravitate towards. 
simply because we don't know what we really are while we're here, but someone else does know this and they're the ones that put the control system in place. And then the solution to that is, is to then further push this totalitarian thing. So it's like that model, but on a huge scale having to do with everything. It's not even in these microcosms as, as above, so below. So maybe that idea as above would also be on the biggest scale possible, which is everything. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast Friday double feature. This week's double feature, we have two swap casts, one with the False Reality Check podcast and the second with the Expanding Reality podcast. The first conversation, Buffalo and Legs interviewed me about my story, which naturally led to a conversation about synchronicity, energy, and life in general and what is going on in the world today. After that, I spoke with Brandon Thomas on the Expanding Reality podcast about similar things, the collective consciousness, the global parasite that is infecting us all, and what to do about it and how to remain positive. So enjoy this Friday, enjoy your weekend, and I hope you support us on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, where every episode is released at least two days ahead. So if you join our two for two, two dollar club, you'll get all of the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast two days ahead of time. If you join for three dollars or more, you get the whole scene. And if you join for five dollars or more, you get everything. Thirty three dollars, of course, gets you into the best friend book club. And uh, we do have quite a lot of people who've made their way into the book club. So thank you, all our best friends in the book club. And thank you for joining us here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Oh, and one last thing if you want a spirit animal name sign up for the patreon if you join the patreon you will receive a spirit animal name thank you for listening and enjoy this friday double feature first up false reality check podcast with buffalo and legs and after that you'll hear from me and brandon thomas on the expanding reality podcast wonderful mark from my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and recently he's working with uh michael Wan. yes your handbook for the apocalypse mm. and michael he's cool thank you yeah. for bringing that up yeah that's a fun new show yeah i'm i'm enjoying it so far how did you how did you get started with that if you don't mind sharing i don't mind thank you again for having me this is uh my first time meeting you both but we've spoken a little bit here and there in telegram and on the union of the unwanted we were on the same screen but it's kind of hard i'm glad we're zoomed in now because when you're on the union of the unwanted you're talking to like little thumbnail sized versions of people so this is awesome i got started through this i think how most people do you listen to podcasts to the point where you're like i should do it myself but you know instead of uh starting my own podcast i just bothered sam tripoli until he had me on his sam his podcast his uh premium content and then you know something about me warmed up to him and he eventually offered me the chance to work for him you know and that kind of kicked me in the butt to the point where I'm like, well, I have to start my own podcast. I can't be working for a tinfoil hat and, and have nothing to show for myself. So 
I started my own podcast and Michael Wan, you know, to connect him into the the picture at that point, I was very aware of him and, and many other people learning a lot, you know, I was a delivery guy for Amazon, so I would spend a lot of time listening to podcasts as people might be doing right now while they're listening to this. You know, you're working your full-time job, and I always saw it as an opportunity to get a free education because I dropped out of community college, and that kind of bugged me a little bit. And I've always been told by people, oh, you're really smart. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm a delivery guy. you know. So it was kind of uh, motivation in a way to be like, wow, all of this stuff I'm fascinated by can actually bring me somewhere tangible rather than it just being a hobby and an interest, right? When I when I saw how other people were, were making podcasting a career for themselves, you know, and that wasn't wrapped into my motivation for meeting Sam. Honestly, I just wanted Sam to have this one book, right? This, uh, this book called The Caballion, because at that time, he had probably been around like episode 270, 80, the early 300, somewhere around there. And I was, um, you know, I listened to the Matt LaCroix interview, which is a big interview. For he sure. made it on the, on the, uh, you know, Mount Crushmore for the 500th episode. So, you know, Matt LaCroix is awesome, right? Like everybody loved that interview and everybody yeah. loved like that energy. And I think Tinfoil Hat kind of changed a bit when that interview happened. Like Sam started warming up to a lot of these things. Like in the past, they got into that stuff a little bit, but for the most part, it was a deep state conspiracy type show and Matt LaCroix brought this other element into the picture and I might not even be doing this if that didn't happen because Sam kind of got more interested in spirituality at that time too obviously the birth of his twin daughters played a, a role in that as well but you know I think my motivation for giving him the Caballion was like, Sam, you know, you got to know what the Emerald Tablets are. Like, because people who for people don't know, like the seven hermetic laws come from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Right. And to me, they're talking about all this stuff. I'm like, oh, if only Sam knew the seven hermetic laws like this could possibly like make the show, you know, better. Like that's all that was kind of on my mind as like a super fan. I wanted to maybe like give Sam a, that book and, and potentially give him a new outlook on things. And, you know, I show up to a show at New York City. There's hundreds of people there. We're all waiting in line. I took a picture with Sam and, and Eddie. And then like afterwards, everybody's kind of hanging around and I'm lurking around and I'm like, Sam, Sam, you know, and he was like, Oh, give it to me. Give it to me later. We're going to Creek in the cave. So I'm like, okay, we're going to hang out with Sam Tripoli. This is cool. And like these other dudes that were like in line with me, I'd met them. They had a car with them. I had like walked from, you know, who knows how I got there from my sister's apartment. So going from Manhattan to Long Island city is like a two hour walk, right? You know, you gotta, it, it's, it's not easy. So these guys gave me a ride and you know, God bless them. If they're out there listening, those dudes rock because that's how I ended up kind of meeting Sam, I gave him the book and, uh, and things kind of snowballed from there. But in between the time of me giving Sam that book and then actually going on his podcast zero, I had a moment where I stopped at the Susquehanna river, right? It was just kind of a random occasion. A friend who I had met only a few months prior needed a ride down to Virginia state 
I had never been to before. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a ride, especially considering she had offered to pay me. So I drove her down, you know, a little paid vacation to Virginia. And on my way back home, I stopped in two places. I stopped in the Washington, D.C. area in the midst of the pandemic or pandemic, And it was, you know, I, I make that point because it was relatively a ghost town. You know, nobody was out at that time. Everybody was afraid of cooties. So I got to like look at the National Monument and all the cool buildings and maybe even soak in levels of that energy that you wouldn't normally be able to soak in if the city was kind of vibing and, and, and at its you know, max capacity for a summer, you know, June kind of day. So that was interesting. And then I took that spot and carried that energy with me to the Susquehanna River, where, you know, if you guys are familiar with Michael Wan, you know that that's the name of his website, Susquehanna Alchemy. A huge portion of his research is dedicated to baseline reality. And for him, living near the Susquehanna River, that river is his baseline reality. And, you know, I connected with that in a really weird way, you know, not even thinking about Michael Wan, just knowing that this guy out there had told me that this river was important. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to this river and see what happens, you know? And, and I ended up probably throwing some tobacco in the water and saying a prayer and connecting with the elements because I, I don't particularly consider myself a part of any religion, but I found a lot of intelligent things that I've resonated with through native American and indigenous cultures. And that's part of something uh, a mentor of mine taught me, you know, tobacco is a way to, to give an offering or a prayer. So I threw the tobacco in the water. I got back in my car, continued on my journey. And then, you know, a couple months later, I have Michael Wan on my podcast, episode 25, and we hit it off. He's like, oh, look, check it out. I just made, you know, this wand. I added something to it. I'm like, dude, I got a wand right here. And I like grab my wand. It's actually right there on top of those books right there. But, you know, that little connection kind of created a friendship and my wayward ways at that time, you know, the beginning of the year, I was just like, go, go, go. I don't want to be home. I was living with my dad at the time. So being home really sucked. I just didn't like it, especially at my age, 26. I don't and now I'm 27 but I didn't like being home at all. So any excuse to like travel was great and I met this girl who was living in Indiana. She invited me to come to her place and all that. So in between going to Indiana, I would stop at Michael Wan's spot cuz he lives, you know, kind of on the way and and it's like a 12-hour journey, so I'd rather like cut it in half and and stop somewhere and he generously kind of offered that during our podcast conversation and I'm not shy when someone offers me, you know, an invitation like that, I'll, I'll take them up on it. Right. So I stayed at Mike's place and uh, he gave me one of these sort of skymancy readings. And I'll say it really, it, it really helped me clear my head at the time because that person that I was seeing in Indiana, I'm not dating anymore. And the person that I'm in love with now and who's a huge part of my life, you know, I had known at that time. And that Skymancy reading now in hindsight really sharpened the path forward for me and, and made me realize like, 
who was important in my life. And so, yeah, that, you know, it's, it's so interesting how someone can go from being like just someone you hear their voice on a podcast and then you're in their house, you know, staying in their son's like bed, uh, you know, and like uh, <laughs> in the extra spare room. And, and like, you know, it was just, it was just so cool to like be accelerated into that world. And, and yeah, you know, it might sound like, oh, wow, Mark's so lucky and whatnot. Like, how could you go work and do all this stuff? And it worked out so great. It's been a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of wasted dollars. It's been a lot of wasted gas, you know, and reading books that maybe felt at the time like there was no point in reading them other than I was fascinated, you know, because like I was just talking to my aunt this afternoon you know, most people don't think about the types of things we talk about on our podcast. So when someone asks me like, oh, Mark, how are you doing? Same old shit. I'm like, no, not same old shit. Like, I'm like, do you really want to know what I'm thinking about? Like, you sure? Like, I, do you like, do you want to get into this? Like, you don't know what ley lines are. You don't know. Like, so it's just going to become a debate, sadly, because you, you, you try to explain certain things to people and they're not even with you like the premise so now you have to explain the premise and then they're like questioning the premise and then you can't even get to what you were thinking about because they won't even entertain this line of thought because they think you know they're open-minded until they get hit with something that you know questions their reality and then they're not so open-minded so Finding guys like Michael Wan and Sam Tripoli was a relief for someone as crazy as me because I just want to talk about this kind of stuff and, and get into this kind of stuff. And same thing with Tara. Like, she puts up with my craziness, too. And, and she's really, you know, shown me a lot since us kind of merging in that way. She was going to jump on the podcast. She might. She might jump on. I don't know. I can't I can't push her too far, but it's it's really it's it really make warms my heart seeing you two do the podcast together, you know. So, it's very inspiring. But yeah, long story short, that's kind of how I met Michael Wan and then, you know, doing what I do with Alt Media United, I've tried really hard maybe more than I would have to make these connections and network with people and create a podcast network, which you both are welcome to be a part of as well. And, and, you know, do my best to give people an opportunity to express themselves independently. Cause I've seen just from being a fan of podcasts, how like influence from a network can change a show, right? I used to be a fan of stuff they don't want you to know which is like really like mainstream conspiracy. Like it might as well be on PBS. It's not anything crazy, right? <laughs> so like it, it's, it's interesting stuff for someone who's new to all of this. And there was a time when their shows were very red pill, like if we want to use that term. And that was when I started listening. Then I eventually had to wake up and be like, oh, these guys are on to something. And it's not anything that I believe in. It's probably warped by a guy like Marshall Brain, you know, whoever he is and how stuff works is its own entity. But I found open-minded people. I found, you know, this kind of uh, voice in a sea of information. And, and I'd like to help those people because I know how hard the work can be from this perspective of like putting stuff together and, and, and having a conversation and researching and all that. Like, 
marketing your podcast and figuring out which platform you need to be on to not get censored and all those other little ins and outs. Like sometimes that catches up with you. And then what happened to Tripoli happens to you where all of a sudden, you know, four years of hard work just gets censored off YouTube for good, you know? And like, obviously he could take a hit like that because he is Tripoli. He's doing great. He's, you know, didn't need YouTube. He didn't create himself with YouTube. It was just a byproduct of his success to have that platform as an outlet. But I think folks in our position where we have, you know, sort of the idea that we're going to be an entrepreneur at this, we want to know that this is going to be something that's going to sustain us legitimately. And we're not going to wake up one morning and our, you know, bread and butter is rotting, you know, between our fingertips, you know, we got to maintain that. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too metaphorical, but take it away folks. I've been talking so much here. You guys have so much <laughs> no, energy. No, no Mark, was, it's all good. That was so, I didn't know all that of how you connected with Sam. And that was something I always wanted to know. Because I always hear, you know, I always hear your name mentioned on, on Tinfoil. I always hear your name. I always hear Mark, Mark scheduling, Mark's, good, Mark's doing this. And so it was good to kind of put it all together and how you met with, with Michael Wan. And especially because we like Michael Wan too. I mean, we love Sam. I think the reason why we're on Rockfin is obviously because of Sam. And he is, it's, it's crazy how the direction that you pointed him and, and, you know, Malik Roy and everybody pointing him in the spiritual way. And I think it was for the better. And like you said, when Ghost and Ninja got born, they, it brought everything together. And now the full bloom of Sam, Sam Tripoli has come out mm. and he is just abundant, like crazy. And he is just handing it out to people like, come aboard, come aboard, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Let's, let's do this together. Yeah. And you with all media United. And yes, we would love to be a part of all media United. It's, it's been crazy the way we've experienced all the love from the community coming out and talking about our life and getting interesting takes from people. It's like, my God, where were you guys my whole life? Mm. Like this was, this was the community I've been looking for. Right. And I haven't experienced that even with the people who I thought were the closest friends of mine who are now shutting me out of their life. I haven't experienced that with those people. And to me, it's, it's crazy that some of these people we've never even met, we've never even been in the same room. And I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, we should totally come visit us, you know, like come stay and like, let's take care of each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's and Mike and I just mentioned this on episode seven of your handbook for the apocalypse that like, we're here, we found our tribe, you know, and that's kind of the idea behind the show is like, okay, we're all part of this like awakening. If we're going to use that definition of the word apocalypse. So let's like kind of, show people how we're guiding our way through it. We're not going to create the, you know, master text handbook, but it's our handbook. Now maybe it could be yours too, right? By tuning into the show. So, but, and I will say, maybe I forgot kind of an, another point is like when I was listening to podcasts and I kind of saw how uh, fragile it could be in the sense of like, the guys from the stuff they don't want you to know podcast at one point had good intentions and then maybe got derailed because of financial interests in the sense that like, then another person comes into the team and then the influences change. And then, you know, the direction takes, you know, so I've always found 
well, I don't even want to say start. I'll start differently. I'll say when I was at that point, when I was just listening to podcasts, I thought, all right, I need to support this content. So, and of course I was interested in the premium content, but there was a, there was plenty of shows that, you know, didn't really have much premium content that I would just support anyways, you know, like the higher side chats, that's a no brainer. You got to have the second hour, you know, like give Greg eight bucks a month you you're gonna not you're not gonna regret it right same thing with Tripoli like I've been supporting Tripoli since he was on Patreon and that's how I even got to like talk to him because you know I could have just been hitting him up as some random guy on Instagram I don't know I Instead, I was a guy on his Patreon sending him direct messages like, hey, dude, I'm helping you out with this. Like, maybe you'll take me a little more seriously. Not that I, like, deserved anything or anything like that, but that's the kind of approach I took. Like, karmically, I'm going to give back to this content because it's serving a purpose for me. I should help them out and help them maintain this because I didn't want to see any of those shows end. And, you know, now I'm lucky enough to have people supporting me on a Patreon i created right and looking for other options rockfin is one of them right like you guys said really cool to be on there most of us wouldn't be on there if sam didn't get kind of like asked to be a part of it and that was big for me too because he only created zero because he needed another show to do for rockfin right and that was kind of where he asked me to be on for episode three And then he asked me, like, hey, do you know who else I should have on the show? And I didn't, like, send him one suggestion, guys. I sent him, like, 30 people. Like, I sent him an email with, like, name, like, when they were born, what they talk about, you know, like, with their email, you know. So I showed him, like... Not that I even thought that he was going to, like, ask me to work for him. I just sent him that because I'm like, these are all the people I want to see you talk to. You know, that was it. There was no, like, resume involved with me working with Sam. Sam was just like, oh, shit, okay, you might be the right guy for this. And then, you know, with the quality and the caliber of people I was booking on Zero, he was like, oh, maybe we should have you booking for Tinfoil Hat as well. And, you know, I totally you know, love that opportunity. But at the same time, he doesn't pay me, you know, a lot. He doesn't pay me enough to, to like live off of. So there's the incentive to start my own podcast, start my own podcast cooperative, work with other podcasters and really find my space in this realm while still recognizing like, Hey, I'm pretty lucky. Like the opportunity I was given by Sam is, is pretty, you know, rare. And I want to be able to give back immediately, you know, and, and start a cooperative. And, and another guy who was huge for me was Alex Sakaris, like with the Skeptico podcast, I had him on my show for episode seven and we started working together in that way as a booker. He was impressed by some of the things that we had talked about. And then that evolved into him basically funding Alt Media United's beginning. You know, now he's kind of stepped back and, and doesn't pay me anymore, but he pays for the website to exist and, and I do the rest, you know, and that's kind of uh, a mutually beneficial thing because his podcast is a part of it and he's networked with a lot of people in the cooperative since. So that's a little bit of like the backstory too. And, and that's, you know, I'm really grateful you guys even asked about that because it is nice to talk about that. I don't like to talk about that kind of stuff on my show. I try to make it more about the guests, but I don't want there to be any mystery about this kind of stuff. Like, I'm just a normal dude who grew up in Connecticut, like, 
with a huge income gap over here, you know, like not on the right end of that income gap. And I'm just trying to build my way up in a job that doesn't completely suck my soul from me, you know, and, and I've always been so against the grain that I didn't really fit into most jobs. I mean, I smoke so much weed that like, I can't get hired at most jobs. So that's kind of prevented me from <laughs> going into that mainstream world as much as I could have. Right. And, and maybe been more uh, of what my family expected me to be. And, you know, that brings me back to why the name of my show is so true because, you know, my family thinks I'm like a crazy pothead who's just reading a bunch of like magic books, you know, like they, they don't get it. Like they love me, they support me and they're proud of me when I accomplish something, but they don't, they're not like on board with half of the things or even 70% of the things that I talk about or, or believe in. And, and I accept them for that. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm in the same boat too. Like my family, they'll listen to what I have to say and, and uh, give their opinions, but it doesn't go any further than that. You know, mm. <laughs> it's just like, now, do you, do you guys think, cause we, we must all be around the same age. I imagine like, you think it's our internet generation? If we're even going to use that term, like, do you think it's like, cause you know, I was talking to Alex today on the show and he's in his fifties. I think I don't want to age him, but I think that's how old he is. And, and he was like, you know, he, he pushes back and people can listen to that interview when it comes out and see exactly what I mean. But I was kind of pointing some things out and he was like, well, Mark, that's relative. Like that's relative bullshit. Like this didn't exist when I was a kid, like this whole idea that, Oh, all, truth is relative. And what's true for you might not be true for them. Like, shouldn't we agree that there's a common truth you know and i think that's what motivates me in conspiracy is i think like there is a common truth and for the most part most people are blind to it like i mean yeah. and that's why explaining things to our families can be so weird because they're not seeing the same world we're seeing you know and maybe yeah. the internet's given us uh larger eyes through which to see the world in, in that way I could, I would agree with that. Mm. And just our connection too. like, we can, we're able to connect through the internet. We're able to connect with cell phones, you know, it used to just be landlines and letters, you know, now we have email. It's, we're more connected now and we're able to communicate ideas and look up certain things that we're interested in much easier. Yeah. I would, I would think that's a big factor yeah. for sure. Psychedelics help too, though. Mm. Like, I think yeah. Cause we, you know, I, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to make an assumption. We've all experienced some <laughs> sort of psychedelic plant medicine, plant medicine. Yeah. And I, I would make the assumption that a lot of people in our parents' generation haven't, or even if they have, it freaked them out and they never want to do it again because they fought it. And sometimes, you know, at least in my experience, when you fight it, you're going to have a, you're going to have a bad time. Like you're going to have a really bad time. You need to go with it and mm. let it teach you. And that's the thing is for them to accept knowledge from a plant or a fungus is like, oh, but that's not an, a point of authority. Like that's not, that's not an authority figure. So that's not, is that real knowledge or are you opening the door to something, yeah. you know? Right. But we, we all agree that there is a God, you know, and there is source. We may just, in my family, we may disagree that, the route to connect to God, they believe, you know, go to church religion. That's the only route. When in my mind, I'm like, no, you can, there's yeah. many ways you can connect. Yeah. God's everywhere. Yeah. You can connect anyway. Well, you, you form your own spirituality. And I, I, I think I, 
I don't know if this is true for your experiences, but for me, church (laughs) turned me off to any idea of God, like going to church. I did not feel was a spiritual process at all. You know, I was not embraced and that could just be like every other factor that was also going on in my life at that point in time and not the church's total fault, but it was a little odd to, you know, see how, you know, unenlightened my grandparents were as respectful as they can be in saying that they're very good people, but they were not enlightened in the sense of like spirituality, but they, you know, swore by this church and, you know, swore by it's like teachings yet, you know, for the most part, they were pretty normal people. You know, they weren't pious. They weren't like abstinent. They weren't, you know, none of these things. It wasn't a, a strict upbringing, but, you know, certain words and certain like things and ideas were definitely like, oh, no, we don't we don't talk about that. We don't believe in that. We believe in God. So there was immediately from a young age, like this idea of like, oh, you guys are just playing along with this game and this funky looking dude on stage right here in a green robe is waving this golden scepter around and some, you know, urn full of smoke you know it's just it was just all unexplained things and everyone was just like yep yep this is it we're all we're all on board you don't see it why don't you see it so that made me look towards things that were more real more tangible nature the things around me and unfortunately culture right because i'm not perfect i was predictive programmed my whole life and had to like work my way out of it in reverse and now like thanks to the books and thanks to the podcasts i have maybe a more clear vision towards what's out there that can be found and and what can be seen rather than maybe just what the tv limits us to believe is real and that was huge for me because i realized like oh a lot of people are just living through these like themes and archetypes that we're given through the television. I kind of always liked examining what I was watching on TV and not always, sometimes I would just check out, but at the same time, like there were certain things going on in that time in my life that then inspired me around maybe 15 or 16 to smoke weed for the first time. And that's what brought me back to what I would say is like a real perspective. Like the slate was wiped clean and like a child sees the world, I was able to see the world at the age of 16, like with new fresh eyes. And then you start from there, you know, and, and that's when I would say I came back to spirituality from when I departed at that young age and, and writing off church and, and not believing in God, you know, and, and now I have a a stronger sense of, of a creator and creation and trying to connect with that. But at the same time, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just talked to Todd Armstrong. That's why I was late. I apologize. He was going on a bit and he was, you know, giving us a very Christian message uh, and touching on some things that were like chakras and Kundalini and, and that's all a part of Christianity too, if you go far enough back, but it's just odd to see now in this conspiracy world, how people with that 
lens of like super hyper religious can still be in our open minded kind of frequency of discussing Nephilim and but they do tend to put it in those two camps of like, well, it's either the authority of good or the authority of evil. But it's that kind of authority thing that you and I are all sort of resonating here on. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Do you think that the lines are blurring a little bit? Because I notice a lot more people in our community are they're they're either really spiritual or they're like really Christian, mm. but everybody's kind of on that same frequency, like you said, where they're, they're open-minded and they're willing to discuss it, open ideas and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like the community is getting bigger. Do you think that's as a result of this awakening and we're just opening up together? Yeah. Or do you think that we're all seeing each other's sides a little bit more? Yeah. I, and I think I have to keep in mind, like where I live there, there's more of a, like uh I don't know what the proper term for it would be, but it's like a weekend Christianity where like people are only religious on the weekends, you know, like, like on Sunday and like on holidays, you know, they're not like, they don't, they're not living a very religious life per se. They're living more of a secular life while still participating in those religious rituals for whatever reason. Whereas there's a huge part of the country that I haven't been to much where religion is everything, you know, Midwest, South. I mean, I can't say I've experienced those places, but from what I've gathered and from the people that have come from there to here, it seems like it's a different vibe. So with that point in mind, absolutely. I think we're all waking up and using the cultural references that we're most familiar with to explain the world around us, you know, and, and that's kind of like, you know, why I don't shy away from a conversation with Todd because I'm not, I'm not totally sold that I'm right. You know, maybe he's right. Maybe there is Jesus as he describes it and, and God as he describes it. I don't dismiss either of those ideas. I just don't describe them the same way he does, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We have our own way, I guess our own form of spirituality, like you said, yeah. Buffalo. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. I, I wanted to ask your opinion what is a book that you think everyone should read? Mm. Well, I think, you know, I say this to people on the Telegram. Join the Telegram chat if you guys want to join the family. But the Telegram, I, I just got a couple asks about that same question. Like, what, what books should we read? And it's like, first of all, if you're going to be reading anything, you know you gotta want to read it i mean it's not it's not always easy to commit to a whole book you know fiction tends to be easier for people because you can like live in that world and it's escape it's an escape from your life you know you you escape into fiction and you escape into this like visualization that you create in your mind and there might still be you know fic a non-fictional aspects to a fiction story but i think people in general are more comfortable with fiction in long bursts and nonfiction in short bursts. So why I make this disclaimer, it's like you have to really be motivated to want to read like some of these books. So if I tell you, oh yeah, buy, you know, the secret teachings of all ages, and then you buy an 800 page book, you know, it's going to sit on your shelf. Yeah. It's going to sit on your shelf for a while, unless you're pretty motivated to, to read it, you know? So, and a book like that, I recommend because you don't have to read it from start to finish. You can read it, you know, in pieces and, and find a chapter that you like uh, are most interested in. And that's 
something I do too. Like I'm not, I'm not extremely strict with my method of researching. Sometimes I'll have multiple books open at once, just trying to kind of understand a theme. So with that being said, I'll recommend the secret history of the world by Mark Booth. And then I'm looking over my shoulder to find the title of whatever book calls to me. I would say like anything on the law of attraction is going to help you understand how you fit into the world a little better. And this goes to my bigger point, which I want to make is that I can't recommend the right book for anybody. You have to be your own guide and let your intuition guide you. So if you have the opportunity and you live in an area where there's used bookstores, that would be the first place you need to go. Just look around, go straight towards the occult metaphysical section. It's usually not a big section, you know, unless you're in like Salem, Massachusetts or something. And it's like a tourist attraction for that type of stuff. But, you know, it's generally kind of a specialist uh, sort of thing. Like crystal shops sometimes will have like a large uh, book section in them as well. So be creative and, and look for this type of book. Don't go to like a Barnes and Noble and wonder why, you know, you're kind of limited and it's all called self transformation for whatever reason. I don't really appreciate that title Barnes and Noble but either way <laughs> go to a bookstore and and use your intuition and let a book call to you because there's going to be the right book that calls to you for whatever esoteric or occult information you may need at that time in your life like for me it was a lot of books you know I just kept like getting more and more and more and more wanting more because I was like never really satisfied with just one explanation for something so I can't really, you know, give that good of a recommendation, but I will say because people ask me that a lot, I'm going to start a book club in the Patreon. And since the copyright laws are kind of uh, weird and I don't want to get in trouble with that whole thing, I'm not going to narrate books, but I might do like quick commentary on like these books, but these books are all copyright. You know, they all have, they're all, after the date of 1923 and have a 70-year copyright on them. So we can't like verbatim read from those books, but we can kind of commentate on them. And then why I even bring all that nonsense up is because any book written before 1923 or within the public domain is free for anyone to transfer translate recite reprint however you know you want to do it so that's where i'm going to do on the book club is go back into some of those old books read them through and then explain sort of what i think of what we just read together because you know i don't want to like rip off people's work and read from books that are copyright you know like that's there'd be like somebody playing a whole half an hour of my podcast on their podcast and then talking about it it's just weird you know <laughs> That's so true. That's such a good idea. I really like that. Thank you. We're gonna have to check that out. Yeah, yeah and I mean, it's not—it's not my idea. There's plenty of people who do podcasts about books, and I've noticed that they do them with public domain books for that reason. So you guys are free to do it as well. There's six thousand something books on the Gutenberg.com, I think, for Gutenberg Project or something like that. So it's—it's it's all out there. If you guys look up like public domain books and and yeah I, I think 
together as a podcast collective, you know, if we're all looking into this kind of stuff, more information will come to the fray. So I, as much as I want to take that compliment for that idea, it's like, no, like everybody should do it. It's not my idea. Let's all do this together, you know? For sure. Yeah, we're going to have plenty of time on our hands in the very near future. So <laughs> I hear, yeah, that's exciting. It's it's exciting and scary, but you know what? It's 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 hard for me cuz you know, I've been sold on that corporate mentality. It's, it's like an abusive relationship <laughs> being a corporate employee cuz that company just like they'll just toss you away. Mm, yeah. Even if you work 7 years hard work, you know. And you're told, yeah, that's what you got to do. You know, you got to go to college, get a job, do your work, but I'm over it. I'm done. Yeah. It's that we're going through. So just to, for people who don't know, who are listening to the show today was, was it today or is it tomorrow? For me, I'm putting in my resignation tomorrow. So she will be free tomorrow (laughs) as of tomorrow. That's how I like to look at it. And I will be free as of, well, if they don't get rid of me, I'm going to hand my resignation in on Friday. Wow. So yeah, we're, we're, we're out. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I heard about that. That's awesome. Owen Benjamin has a lot of good things to say about Idaho. He was just on Tenfoy and he's going to be on my show soon. We got to work out a time, but, but yeah, definitely hear good things about Idaho as far as freedom and as far as living off the land. I'm totally into that. I mean, you know, I don't think people can do it alone. I definitely encourage you guys to to get into a community as soon as you you settle in and whatnot, because that's the thing, you know, winters are hard. You want to be able to trade with people and, and have people you might be able to rely on in a, you know, potentially dangerous situation. I mean, I don't know where you guys are at now, but where I live, it gets pretty cold in the winter, but never like, I'm sure it doesn't get Idaho cold where you're like trapped in your house for multiple days, but you know, it, it's definitely something that Tara and I have been talking about is like, oh, maybe we should go somewhere really rural and, you know, we can work from our computers. And as long as we're staying connected, you know, we can make a life for ourselves outside of the system. It's just, I, th- I think that's something that everyone should try to do if you're interested in this type of uh, content. It's definitely not just for entertainment. It's because you you see the world and you want to either change it or change your life to better match like the bigger picture and fitting within it. And that's the best thing you can do, like counter economics, you know, make a make a change in your own life and you create that ripple effect. And I think the more people that make that change that you guys did and it might be scary at first you know you're leaping into the unknown but if you embrace it you know i think it it could work out in exponential ways you know it certainly it, it has for me over a period of time since quitting amazon you know i was a delivery driver and i didn't you know i've always been of the motto, like you don't quit a job until you have a better job lined up because you don't want to be a bum and you don't want to be homeless and all that. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't really do that. I had an opportunity to work with Sam, but it was not, that's not really, if we're looking at things from a chronological order, I didn't know that that was a possibility in a way. Like it, it was just like, I'd been on his show and I'm like, you know what? 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to work Lyft because Lyft was like, make your own hours, you know? So I did that for a little while too after Amazon. And then, yeah, somewhere along the line, you know, it, it lined up. And I think I've done the preparation for that opportunity and like aligned with that, you know? So I'm sure you guys have very similar things going on where you're aligning towards this new life and this new mission that you're embarking on you know things are probably like you said before with the friends like i had the same thing happen once you take this radical change into something that's more real some of your friends don't follow you you know they're they're like ah no i'm more comfortable living in this old world and i you know i don't see the new world you're in or they're cool and they're like oh I respect that you're in this new world, but I'm not giving up what I got over here. So that's, that's a sacrifice you definitely have to make, but I'll tell you what, you know, this is a friendships forming right here. And I've made many friendships over the, the computer thanks to podcasting now. So, and like, you know, like I talked about before, I went out, met Michael Wan. Now that relationship is more of a, a friendship and less of like a digital companionship, you know, so to speak. But Micah Dank, add him to the list. I've had uh, had dinner with him and his brother and his his niece at in in Long Island. That was fun. Tara and I, and then uh, let's see who else have I met in in real life. Alex Sakaris from the Skeptico podcast. He uh, he met us this summer, and then obviously Sam Tripoli, the man. I've hung out with him a couple times, and then uh, Mike Romanelli is another great friend that I've made. Bruce DeTorris, guest on my show. I gave him a ride to. Mike Romanelli's podcast studio and we podcasted there in person. So, and Tommy G who I don't have any relationship with him, but people seem to like him and I was in the same room as him folks. So, so there, like there's a lot of real fun and real cool people out there that I've met through podcasting and it's not limited to the podcast, which is, you know, I'll say is very different from the world I was in, in a sense, because like a lot of the guys I did my podcast with, they're, you know, they're cool. I like them. I still love them and respect them, but they're very heavily into video games. And I only bring this up because of this point of like, yes, you're connecting with people in the outside world when you play a video game, but it stays on in cyberspace. It very rarely in my experience translates to the real world. You know, like you, you might be friends with somebody in a game but then you go and hang out with them and all you're talking about is gaming. You know, like I got, I hung out with people who were my friends before they got so sucked into that world. And I get really like, you know, kind of, I can be kind of blunt. Like if I'm not interested, like you see it on my face, you know? So there were times where I'm just like, yeah, maybe I should find new friends because there's, there's, you know, we used to have things in common, but now we don't. Cause I stopped playing those video games. You know, I stopped going to that cyber world and spending time there, which, you know, could benefit some people, but I, felt like it was wasting my time that's just my opinion i'm not you know because again i respect those guys and they choose to do that with their time you know it's totally valid but at the same time it kind of hurts me because i'm like oh you guys were into conspiracies like don't you know that that's conspiracy like you're being like absorbed into cyberspace with these video games i don't know that's crazy. Yeah, I always do that with people. And I, I, I'm trying my best to have patience where 
you see like people will understand certain conspiracies and they'll be like, yeah, yeah. The government puts us into war. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they lie to us, mm. but they're like, put your mask on. And it's <laughs> right. It, it like, they don't, they don't like link the two. It's so weird. And it, it makes me really like angry and I have to just, well, you know, what's good about okay. what you just said though, because I don't think people would have that impression of war if it wasn't for nine 11. You know, and maybe we can discuss this because I'm just guy. I don't. What I say is open for debate, but it feels like there's this really strong patriotism that got beat so hard into people after 9/11 that a lot of people were like, "Oh wow, yeah, that was a like." And they might not go rabbit hole far and say like it was a planned event, it was a conspiracy theory. But like you just pointed out, they can recognize that war is not what they say it is in a, on a mass level. And it's not always engaged in just to protect people. And as a matter of fact, it's probably never been used that way. So that's kind of that's kind of where I stand on that whole thing. But I wonder if this whole mask incident and the whole pandemic could possibly push people towards radical health in that way like where you know going through this whole thing what if it ends the whole epidemic because we've been living in the age of the epidemic this isn't the first epidemic i mean there's been epidemics ever since you know curiously enough ever since we've had an electrical grid i wonder why i wonder why the seasonal flu is connected Telegraph, to right? the history of electricity. That's so strange. But, you know, getting back to the real and baseline reality and what Michael Wan talks about and what you guys are doing by going to a rural place like that, that's what I think people are, are getting keen to. And maybe will just as far as the pendulum has swung this way in the crazy world, we're going to go the opposite direction into harmony with nature, you know, and, and I hope that happens because... It it seems to me like that's the case. I mean, I'm by, I'm wearing freaking underwear from Matt Landman right now, protecting you know protecting me from the EMF on the computer. So like, there's serious things going on. Like just because I'm doing the podcast here, don't get it twisted, folks. I'm taking precautions as much as I possibly can, but I also feel like I'm sacrificing a little bit of myself to help wake people up because for whatever reason this is what i like to do but you know like we do need to recognize that that might be just as much of a a culprit as any other thing i forgot how i got onto that tangent but oh the age of the epidemic too it's like yeah like these things have been happening over and over you know and I think people are going to wise up because they're just using the same tricks they used a hundred years ago with the whole polio thing. And look what happened there. Like people are, are shorter as an average, the height has gone down, right? We can get into some of the other things that have happened, but like, that's super controversial. I've had Dr. Andrew Wakefield on my podcast talking about some of the links he's made with the, you know, the jab and, and all of the really harmful consequences of taking that form of experimental i don't want to call it medicine but experimental whatever you know you're the experiment <laughs> let's just put it that way but yeah so not to go into that whole realm because my point being is like it's not going to get 
worse than this from what i've gathered and i don't know if you guys stay up on tinfoil hat but i listen every episode i have to after this i'm going to listen to the newest episode with nick hinton but cliff high was just on the show and he talked to sam about his web bot predictive programming like device that like i was trying to explain this to tara and i can hardly understand it so i'll do my best here but you know his web bots crawl the internet let's say the internet's like this stream right of all these pieces of information and it you know records to the best of the bots abilities what's happening on the internet runs it through some algorithm and this guy cliff you know can see the information coming through the internet and kind of based on these algorithms he's created over the past 20 30 years predict certain things and you know take that for what it is he said it not me but his predictions seemed to say that things were going to get better. And I don't know, that's the kind of vibe I want to like lean towards. We can talk about the whole range of things, but I like to end on a good note. Not that we're ending, but you know what I mean? Like when we, when we're thinking about what's going on in the world, I think my show and your show, like what we try to do is leave people with a positive feeling and inspired, not like, blackpilled as some podcasts might name themselves but that's a topic for a different day <laughs> for sure that's so interesting you bring that up in our telegram chat andy from the deep share podcast he sent us a video um also part of all media united he is yes he posted a video related to project looking glass and it's an interview i don't know you know you don't know if it's real or not but it's very positive message, but it's ex-military guy talking about Project Looking Glass and how every time they tried to see into the future, it all pointed to everyone waking up. And the elite parasite class, whatever you want to call them, basically failing. And that's kind of why they got rid of that whole Project Looking Glass, because they weren't seeing what they wanted. Like, no matter what, every scenario, every choice that they put forth... It all led to us waking up and, and winning. I didn't see that, but I love the point you're making there. And it's definitely in concert with what I said. And I think, you know, beyond that, they've tried to weaponize everything, right, about life in a way. That's their job as the CIA. They're trying to figure out how to weaponize everything. And I think what they found there, and that maybe if whether true or not, it indicates to me that you can't use light for dark purposes. It's just, that's just the way it is, you know? So we as astral beings, we are given that ability and it's not given freely. It comes with dedication and going through those processes of initiation. Hence the rites of passages that you can still find in indigenous cultures and you find them in secret societies and, and modern, more modern cultures. But the rites of passage teach us how to use those uh, skills that we all innately have, the ability to use our astral body. And from what I've gleaned from people who maybe have been in secret societies or shared or written about that kind of stuff, they're doing the same thing, but they're adding like a level of like hierarchy to it. So like certain people 
go into the astral realm and then like the new guys they go into the astral realm but they're like you know like bullied like in the sense that like you know you you're not fully aware of your abilities in there and that's to your disadvantage when you're an adept like you come into the astral realm as a new guy and the older guys like rough you up and and like try to like i don't know for worse or for better i don't know because i've never gone through anything like that but it seems to me like and and this was kind of an off the air conversation with someone who was just on tinfoil hat where we were getting it getting into like what is going on on that astral realm and you know it seems to me like they have people in that realm who have you know taken control over it we'll say or at least that was the fear that this person had so like when you're dreaming there are like dream agents who are watching you too and like i don't know how much of that i believe in because like what you're saying it's like you can't weaponize things like that like that's not that's not it's just the way it is like you can't start a fire with a wet log you know water is the opposite of fire it's just the way it is right so i don't know you know, but I'll say that everything I've experienced with spirituality and plant medicine has been pretty beneficial to me because I've taken the cautious, moderate route. Like I've done mushrooms and acid maybe in larger doses, but not like with frequency, you know, with big breaks in between and like cannabis probably is what I use the most, but I'm always smoking with tobacco and it's interesting because like tobacco has this religious sacred connotation of warding off evil spirits. Right. So, you know, I'm reading all this stuff about Crowley. I'm reading all this weird stuff, but I'm also like, I don't know, in a way protecting myself or giving myself a shield from those negative uh, forces that are real. Like you can weaponize those negative forces, but it's the same concept of like, you know, a light, cannot be extinguished by darkness you know what i mean it's the other way around around only right as soon as you turn a light on the dark vanishes right so i think that's kind of what we're dealing with is when we turn on that inner light our soul's light the forces of negativity have already lost they can only manipulate us into keeping our light off they can't like mess with us once our light's on so that's the game we're playing here with like those weaponized astral realms is like if you're telling me that they're turning their light on and then harming people it, that doesn't sound like it's going to last very long because they're failing at the mission they're failing at becoming ascended they're you know that's not what those things are intended for and you know that's why i think secret societies to my earlier point are kind of worthless too in a sense even though in the past they were keepers of information and that was important now it's like there are no secrets everything's open so what are they doing they're like you know controlling you no matter how you put it they're controlling you and unless you rise to the top of that organization you're not in control of your own will and your experiences with that astral realm or wherever else they help you become aware of and that's why again like my point before i've always kind of looked at indigenous cultures with more reverence because they're always putting it on you like if you are going to do one of these rites of passages you're going out on your own and then it's up to you 
to take that learning and integrate it into whatever you become in life. You know, there's no like, okay, you pass the first test. Now the second test comes out. Like there's no, it's, it's like a couple tests, but there's a final point. It seems to me like with these secret societies, they've gamed it. So you're just like, you know, going up this like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and never actually reaching that ascension that we're all, you know, it's our birthright. And we live in this world where there's those negative forces that are like trying to keep our lights off. And as soon as we turn the light on, that's when the process starts. And, and anything that you do that's negative diminishes your light and brings you back down. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. And maybe this was really far off from our original point, but that's the, that's what you get from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy false reality check swap cast. <laughs> I'm loving this. No, Are you this kidding me? It's so interesting you refer to tobacco as a like a spiritual medicine and they totally inverted that shit on us. You know, yeah. it's like They're like if you smoke, you're going to get cancer. Like I've never really looked into tobacco at all and considered it some sacred plant medicine. I'm really interested now into looking into it more. Yeah. Because for the fact that it was totally inverted and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy that, that like this, is that part of their process? Is it part of their process to take something and then just invert it to make it so that we never really know what's going on? Right. That has to be right. Well, and I think, you know, people would call that maybe alchemy, but yeah, inversion. I mean, Sam said it a bunch on the, on the show when certain guests are on and certain topics are being discussed, but when it comes to tobacco specifically, I mean, it's a new world plant in the sense that it didn't exist in the quote unquote old world, right? Not true because the Egyptians have tobacco in some of their tombs but that's a conversation for a different story if we're gonna just maybe pretend like the official narrative is even halfway true for a second tobacco is considered an old world plant right so old world plant or i'm sorry new world plant so very different from old world plants like cannabis which is considered an old world plant grows in asia grows in africa grows pretty much anywhere but tobacco is particular to North America. And I didn't start smoking tobacco for any like sacred reason. Hold on. I just dropped my lighter. Speaking of smoking. So I didn't start smoking tobacco for any sacred reason, you know, like I'm not trying to blow smoke up my, so to speak, but you know, like I, I, I just smoked it cause that's what my peers were smoking out of, you know, blunts, hip hop music. Like this is the culture that I kind of got into when I started smoking. And it wasn't until a couple years later that, you know, cause I had pipes and bongs and I didn't just like only smoke blunts, but it wasn't a couple years later, maybe when I was like 19 or so, I was in community college and I met a guy who is an indigenous person from Arizona. He's part of a Pueblo tribe, part of that culture. And he basically put it to me like cannabis is the feminine and tobacco is the masculine. So to me that, you know, boom, yin yang, like, and I, at that point in my life loved, you know, Jeet Kune Do and, and, and really all things Eastern philosophy, just very curious about all that stuff. And it just made sense and and everything clicked and I've only smoked that way ever since. So 
in that way, yeah, maybe it's it's helped me, but in the side of it being sacred, yeah, that was also made very clear. This person, Amos, he taught me basically, like I said earlier, that you can use tobacco to pray. You know, you give it as an offering, you light it, you know, keeps he didn't he didn't talk about the keeping evil spirits away thing. That's something that you know, comes from a book. So <laughs> I tend to to take a big grain of salt when it comes to like things written about Native Americans because there's a lot of crap written about Native Americans. But when it comes to like the corroboration where he, you know, told me a bunch of things and then I read something parallel to it in a book, now I have a little more trust in that information. So, you know, not that I've I've like done any exorcisms or anything but i would say i've walked a pretty like clean path in the sense that like i've been able to manifest things and recognize when i was manifesting negative things and stop manifesting those negative things and cannabis and tobacco have been an ally in that sense and i use that term from the book carlos castaneda's teachings of don juan and for people who want to be super <clears throat> analytical and skeptical like that book, definitely read it. But, you know, keep in mind, if you go and read a little further, you'll find out that that guy, Carlos Castaneda, ended up being a cult leader in the end of his life. So, you know, some of his later books are might might not be as good as the first one. And also people have gone in and said, like, oh, well, it's all fictional. But I was just talking to a guy named uh, Corey Daniels who lives in Arizona, and that's where a large part of the book takes place. And he said, you know, it is true that Don Juan didn't exist and the book is kind of fictional, but... This man, Carlos Castaneda, was going around to all the different groups of people and taking what he was learning from doing his anthropology work and writing it into that fictional narrative and, and using Don Juan to personify like this teacher because there wasn't a man like that for him to like learn everything from. He was kind of piecing it together from different people. So it was interesting to like, you know, be reading that book in my life at that same time that Amos kind of came into my life, right? So there's always been that level of synchronicity. And that's why I also tell people, like, go and look in a bookstore yourself because my synchronicities are for me and yours are for you. And that's kind of how you can have a greater connection with the world around you. And, and when you notice those kind of uh, connections forming, you might consider going down that path a little further not that might not always be true i think there is a component of like manipulated synchronicity we talked about that on your handbook for the apocalypse but i think if you're connected to your heart and your intentions are good and you you care about giving back to the world in whatever way happens for you because everybody's got their own gift to give you know so i think if you're if you're centered in that there's not a chance that those negative forces can get to you and there's not a chance that your synchronicities can be manipulated because you're following your higher self and it's really cool that you know 
we're resonating on all this together because this is the kind of thing that people are going to hear and then they'll resonate with it and it has that fractaling effect where now, you know, three people affected 30 people who then affect 300 people who then affect 3,000 people and it might just be like we put a smile on their face by having this conversation and then they put a smile on someone else's face. I mean, that's, that's something there, right? That's magic. Right. And, and that's what books did for me in a way. Podcasts do that for many of us. And I'm sure it did it for you guys as well. But that's why I'm like, just kind of happy to, to get into this whole thing. Cause before podcasting, I was just crazy talking about this stuff <laughs> to people who had no idea what any of it meant. <laughs> Right. Just talking to the dog, you know, <laughs> might as well be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. You blew my mind with the whole feminine cannabis is the feminine tobacco is the masculine. That, that makes so much sense because the flower itself is the female part, yeah. right? When yeah. you're, yeah. And it's, that makes so much sense. I get it. And I'm almost done with your Corey Daniels episode i love that conversation and his connection to the desert yeah he's really awesome really cool really cool guy yeah yeah that's crazy we're oh we're going to the desert tomorrow that's crazy yeah we are yeah (laughs) right on well i did pull another book off the shelf just to recommend it to you guys since you asked at the beginning um this book for anybody who smokes weed lieber 420 cannabis magical herbs and the occult it's a big book, but it's definitely a big read. It covers a lot of topics, and I've had Chris on the show. People can go to his website. I think it's pantagrulian.com, or, or maybe that's his email. Oh, it's cannabisculture.com, I think. Let's just go with that. But Chris is really cool, and he is like the expert at the history of cannabis. And he said a very similar thing about you know cannabis being connected to the divine feminine and throughout history different cultures have symbolized it in that way so when you see that universality to something where like an indigenous culture in north america has a reflected view in the aboriginal culture in australia and then that's reflected in india and that's reflected in japan and you know you see these kind of things to me, that's what I look for. And that's why before I said, like, I don't really have a, a spiritual denomination. I'm just, you know, interested in, in everything and figuring it all out in a way as much as I possibly can as one person. But to make that other point, thanks to podcasting, I don't have to do it alone. Now, you know, people can email me or get in touch with me on Instagram, the telegram, join the Patreon where I'll probably listen to you a little more than I would in any of those other places. But you know, like if you, you get what I'm saying, we're all crowdsourcing this stuff together and and working on this mystery of life together. Definitely. Oh, I love it. Yeah, cannabis, I definitely, we both use, obviously, but for me lately, I've been using it more um, as a meditation device instead of just trying to get away and space out instead of abusing it. I I feel lately I'm using it as it's intended and I'll go out in the garden in the back and connect with the the birds that are flying around, the, the plants in our backyard and I'll use it before a workout and my workouts are like 
I tend to meditate too as I'm working out. It's it's wonderful. I appreciate it. The divine feminine. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, I mean, totally with you there. I think the reason why I had this experience from cannabis, oh, here's Tara. Hey, hey how you doing? What's going hey. on? <laughs> you heard all this positivity talk. I had to come oh, join. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Buffalo had to get our charger because our computer's going to die. So sorry. No worries. That, no worries. We can keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I was kind of reminded of when you said what you just said was this feeling of meditation when I was driving. Right. And, you know, I've been smoking weed since before I learned how to drive. So I learned how to drive while I was high and I've probably smoked weed every day since. So there's never been a time when I wasn't high driving that by no means is a recommendation for other people to drive <laughs> high. Cause I'm just a different person. I'm a special rare individual in that way. So I bring that up because when I'm driving, I get put into a state of meditation. I think most people do because you're focusing on the road and you're also listening to something or having a conversation with somebody and your body is doing something that your mind kind of has been trained to do on a subconscious level. And the more, the better you get at driving, you know, the better you are at kind of keeping your focus in two places rather than just on the road, right? At first, when you learn to drive, you're like, oh my God, oh my God. But that subsides and then you have like this level of, of focus on other things. And that mixed with cannabis, mixed with podcasting has been huge for me. And that's why driving and delivering, I think was like in, in uh, you know, on it, on you couldn't have one without the other like i wouldn't be a dr in this position if i didn't do that for that time right so i think on the point of meditating with cannabis like another thing i wanted to bring up is when i started smoking weed i noticed a lot of my friends would only smoke weed in a social setting whereas i was very eager to go home and be high by myself and for whatever reason that I think is, is super important, at least to where I've gotten, because that time alone, you know, is where I found all the interests that I have kind of fine, refined at this point in my life. And cannabis was a huge, huge help in that. And that's why I interviewed Chris Bennett and read his book, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I encourage anybody to do those same things, maybe save for the driving while high thing. I don't know how legal that is, but I'm going to keep breaking the law. I'll tell you that I'll, I'm going to keep doing it. So, I mean, here in Southern California, it's kind of needed, you know, for a lot of people, I more see people should do it. Right. I've never been, but from the few conversations I've had with Sam while he's on the phone in traffic, it doesn't sound f fun at all. <laughs> He's talked about it on his show a bunch, though. So, yeah, no, I've never I've never been out there. But, I mean, Tara can agree with me or back me up on this. It's like where we live, the traffic is terrible. Like, I call it the megalopolis because we're, like, in between New York City and Boston. And, like, a lot of people, like, work and commute from our state to those cities. And it's just, like... It's a lot, a lot of traffic, and it's not always to Connecticut. It's through Connecticut, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I'm sorry, guys. I had to get the cord. No, it's all right. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, traffic here, it was so weird. Like, you know, when COVID first started and everyone, there was no traffic at all. Mm. It was it was pretty crazy just it's actually, to, it's actually pretty nice. That's, yeah, it was very nice. And now that everyone's back on the road, it's like nothing ever happened. And people are a little more crazy now and yeah. more risky with what they're doing. But for me, I just chill, you know, I'm like, I'll get there when I get there. Yeah. It's fine. Well, I think it doesn't help here is that a lot of people we see are wearing masks and gloves in their car <laughs> while they're driving. Oh, so yeah. the lack of oxygen probably doesn't help, but kind of back <laughs> to the weed and driving thing. I think they've proven that you actually are a better driver when you're high because they've, have you heard of the Berkeley study? No. Yeah. Berkeley did a study with, I think like 300 different drivers. I might be getting the number off, but they did a whole bunch of different drivers. Third of the group was sober. A third of the group was drunk and a third of the group got high. The high group beat the sober group. How is that even possible? Oh, so possible. Like beat. Like in terms Outperformed. of Outperformed like because they had him go through a course. Oh, I see. And the, I see. And the okay. sober drivers Higher hit cones vision. way more times than the high drivers. High drivers were really careful. Right. Yeah. I I can corroborate that. And for a long time, I fantasized being like the the test subject for that, and like being like like if I ever got pulled over for smoking weed, being like, make me walk the line, like videotape it. Like, so I could show like, I'm as, as sober as anyone else is. I'm just high. Like it's not, it doesn't, you know, uh, what debilitate you in any way, unless you're new to it. I don't, I don't want to say, you know, if you smoke for the first time, you're probably going to do that. Those were people who probably are like me, daily smokers or weekly smokers and have driven before while high. Like I've had friends who've driven high and I'm like, dude, pull over, I'm driving, you know, but at the same time, you know, that was my suspicion. I'm glad there's now a study that corroborates it. (laughs) We're going to have to send that to you guys. Yeah, I don't know Please how these. Do. How I'll put it on my you. website. <laughs> oh man, I so will. I'll put it on the myfamilythinksomecrazy.com and and then if I ever get pulled over, I'll just tell the officer to go to my website and look, read up the Berkeley study. There you go. Oh man, so you you and Tara are cannabis users, or is it just you, Mark? I've taken a break from it. Okay. For now, yeah, for sure. I was going to ask about your dream. More for me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys still dream? Like now that you've taken a break, Tara, are your dreams more intense? Yeah. Yeah, they are actually. Yeah, they're more they're more vivid than they were. I uh, I stopped dreaming for a while. Good. Yeah. Because I was smoking pretty much every day for 10 years. So, yeah. And so I didn't really remember many of my dreams. But, yeah. Recently, they've been pretty vivid and intense. Like, pretty dark. But I think that's just maybe from the transition of smoking for so long and then not smoking so much now. Oh, man. And also... Processing the, processing the, the shadow work that you're kind of going through. A lot of stuff. Too. I mean, don't just be so mysterious, Tara. I mean, you get, you're sitting on the podcast here. You got to bear it all. No, she she's definitely. And I'm glad you asked us because I in the past three four days I've had really intense dreams because we've been trying to wake up earlier 
So we'll set the alarm and then fall back asleep. And that's when I remember my dreams. It's never like after a, a full six hours. Cause I think, you know, I, I'm probably guilty of smoking close to bedtime really often. And that contributes to not remembering your dreams. Cause you're releasing melatonin when you're high. I mean that not to, to, bring everything to the finite molecular level, you know, not that I think that's the most important understanding of things, but from that perspective, we're releasing melatonin when we get high. So we're essentially daydreaming, you know? So I prefer to, to daydream for whatever reason. And some people night dream, but maybe it's because I'm like fully drained of, of that smoking, experience and then you know six hours passes i wake up and then go back to sleep for a couple hours and that's why i'm remembering my dreams but there's definitely years that pass by where like i would only have dreams here and there you know and it's it's definitely because of smoking weed i don't know i don't know necessarily that it's a bad thing though because like she was kind of alluding to sometimes your, your dreams could be kind of dark and you know i for whatever reason, I'm better off without that. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's wrong, though, because, I mean, she's growing a lot from experiencing that, and I know how important that is, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. I know when we go to Idaho, our access to cannabis is going to be very limited, so... Oh, I'm no, trying, I'm trying I doubt to... that. I doubt that. I doubt that. You guys have a podcast. You'll be fine. Someone will listen and be like, dude, I'm in Idaho too. And then you'll find out that there's like a, a connection. So I, I would oh. just, I don't, you know, don't put yourself out there, but you, you already kind of did with this conversation. Someone will hear it and, and maybe get in touch with sure. it. I'll say it for you. Cause I'm in a legal state. Send legs some weed. <laughs> please help <laughs> please help us we're poor <laughs> yeah i'm like hoarding edibles right now throwing in the freezer you know just like getting ready for winter <laughs> how close are you to the idaho canada border it's very small oh, but it, there there is a border we're probably like six seven hours because we're in southeast well there's yeah. some i there i forget i think they made a movie out of this but there's some kid who would like get in a ghillie suit and like run uh weed across the border from Canada to like Washington and like other States because it was, you know, it, it's been legal in Canada for some time and, and not in some of the U S States, but now it's, now you can go between Washington and Ca and Canada with weed. I'm sure that border's green, but <laughs> yeah, my heart goes out to you. That's definitely a consideration that I make when I, when I, I'm considering where I'm going to move. Like, oh, like I do want to live in PA, but they're like strict with the weed there, you know, or like, oh, I would live in New Hampshire, but they're strict with the weed there. Apparently, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like, like we said, like, you never know. Someone will hit you up and, and be like, oh, I got you. <laughs> yeah. You put it out there. Manifest, yeah, manifest it. it. Have a marijuana Re ceremony. Ooh, Call it in. Yes. Save a little bit and then offer it in a ceremony. That's my metaphysical advice. Right on. We're gonna we're gonna do that with some tobacco. Should we do it with some tobacco? All the merrier, yeah. We should do that. I think yeah. we should. Yeah. All right, we're gonna do it. We'll save some. We'll offer it. To Remember, new moon, new moon for bringing things in. 
full moon for closing things out, right? So don't go asking for this on the full moon because then you might cross the wires and they'll think that you're you're trying to end your relationship with cannabis. Mm. I don't know. I, maybe that's not how it works, but we, we tend to follow that, right? In the past few months, we've been following the moon s- yep. schedule more than we do the normal calendar, and yeah. and it's... It's beneficial, I would say, and you saw it in your cycles lining up yeah. with the moon. I don't know how. My cycles. And in the last the last full moon ceremony that we did, I had a lot of fear and doubt to release, and I certainly felt a huge shift after that. So, yeah, there's a, a, a big weight lifted and here I am now you know using my voice and facing my fears and my doubts and moving the energy along so it's definitely helped a work in progress see but. look they're like they're like doing Pilates and podcasting together we could do it they're, these guys you, that's why I'm saying you're so inspiring you two you're like up and at them with your mics and like yeah I like that you guys are standing yeah it keeps it i feel like it keeps me in you know mm-hmm. and i really i really yeah, like keep, being engaged yeah i love hearing you what you guys have to say so that's why i'm like i have to be yeah every time we sat down it's not that i was disengaged it's just that the chair isn't good for your back like actually standing is really good for your back mm. so for you know when i did work when i do work for the job i have had i i stand i always stand i even if i'm typing i'm standing I just, it's better to like kind of line things up. And I get, I get in a really, if I sit, I get in like a hunched kind of golem like <laughs> position and my, it's not good for you to be right. like that, you know? So I just try and keep it lined up and hopefully that translates into standing up straight and, you know, facing my fears, facing things head on and like the world, bring it on. I'm here. I got this, you know, kind of a thing. So it just kind of all lines up. I love it. Yeah, we we're gonna consider that when we get into our new place, the the ergonomics of our our studio, because this is makeshift. This is all like we're in transition right now, from to to getting a, a apartment. That's the that's the next step. We thought we might hit the road in an RV. Who knows? Maybe that will line up, but. That was part of it is like if we hit the road in a van, maybe we'll find a place like Idaho is for you two, you know, our, our place to call home in this new world where you can make a living connected through your computer and, and, and through sustaining yourself, too, because I don't plan on just working with my computer, you know, and I'm sure you guys might pick up some of this stuff too. When you get out in a rural setting, like you might start woodworking, you might start, you know, creating your own pottery, like all of these little things that humans have done for thousands of years are like what we said with cannabis, meditative practices that you can tap into that make your life better and give their, their utilitarian in the sense that like you can use pottery to actually save yourself some money and not go to Kohl's or wherever and get, you know, dishware, you know, make it yourself or like, you know, all the different realms that you are super familiar with. If you're already listening to this from like a rural setting and you're like, yeah, you idiots, like get out of the city. Like, you know, cause I'm sure there are people who are on farms and whatnot who appreciate podcasting and how open it is. Like you could listen to a podcast uh, if you have no 
internet service. You just have to get to a place with internet service, download a bunch of podcasts, and then go back to wherever you were. You know, like that's the kind of thing that I'm hoping to get to where one day I have like a little bunker where I can be connected to all this, but then my house is like not. There's no Wi-Fi in the house. There's no none of that, and it's just like a, a house, like a what a house was 300 years ago. You know, like shelter, warmth, bedding, food, a place for people to come together, and like it seems like when you live in the city, they just try to pull you out of your house more and more. You know, look at how people live in a city, small really small places that you, you wouldn't host people at, you know, like I can't even visit my sister cause her house, <laughs> her, I love her. I love seeing her and hanging out with her, but New York city is crazy, you know, and I don't want to go and, and hang out in her little apartment either, you know? So I, I think making the move that you guys are making is super inspiring. And, and that's something Tara and I are definitely on our way towards for sure, you know, and it, that's why I told her, I'm like, we, we should do this conversation together, you know. She was busy, so don't blame her. It was my fault. I was mapping out my recent synchronicities. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> care, you care to share? Okay, well, Mark just did the podcast with Mike Wan, the most recent one, talking about the... They know yeah, the ley lines and and how it connected to the the letter P and the P's the Palladians have been significant to my journey so so far and so I noticed that or I connected that the P's came up and then in the Manitou book this book that we found on our journey. There's a stone structure dedicated to the Palladians, and I haven't I haven't gotten into the specifics of it yet. But so and so for me, I'm I'm like feeling more called to ceremonies and with the shadow work and whatnot, kind of finding my way and mapping out my own way in this world or to navigate this realm. So that came up. And, and then another connection with the, the Shakers and the Quakers, who I'm forgetting it now, but they... The Shaking Quakers. The Shaking Quakers. And a part of their, their life was dancing and kind of like this ecstatic dancing is the way I'm interpreting it. And then surrendering, you know themselves to spirit and, and and honoring themselves and helping themselves in that way so so yeah that came up too and and it jogged my memory how I, I used to do that for myself and just within the past few months I forgot about it because I came came so overwhelmed by a lot of other things and and yeah so it just kind of it br brought me back to like where I am and how I fit into this whole story narrative that's unfolding before me and awesome. everyone yeah I love that yeah I, I want I need to start keeping like a diary or something of the synchronicities in my life just because I'm a little forgetful so i would i need to do something like that that's awesome yeah it's getting really lit right now with synchronicities like i'm not gonna lie everybody's experiencing all types of synchronicities we watch uh chance garten's mm -hmm. oracle videos in the morning oh. and he 
he's been, I don't know what's been coming up, why certain cards are being pulled, but it just fits. It just makes sense with what's happening right now in our lives. I mean, you told me that about the peacock this morning and I yeah, was, the peacock has been coming into my life a lot lately. And peacock means like transformation, new beginnings. And I just keep seeing it everywhere or someone's referencing it to me. And I'm like, okay, it's totally what I'm going through right now, but also understanding the message from God, from source telling me it's okay. The changes that are happening in your life right now, it's okay that you're on the right. Just trusting that. Yeah. It's really weird. Have you guys been experiencing a lot more synchronicities? Well, I would say it it definitely happens at, at frequencies, you know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been keeping track as much as, as she has, but the books, if we were going to call them synchronicities, then yeah, maybe that's the right word for it. But we have seen this like connection between certain books that we've bought. It started with this book called Dancing the Medicine Wheel, and that led us to sort of many different things that we're now integrating and at that time it was connected to this whole 13 moon cycle you know we were talking a lot about the 13 moons there's a bunch of episodes on our patreon from that time about that and we find this book called dancing the medicine wheel and it mentions the 13 moons so that was like the first one and then the second one was when we went to woodstock and it was kind of a mixed reasoning of why we went there like i'm always on the side of like yeah let's go for a drive and like but sometimes she'll suggest a place that's like maybe too far so i'm like no 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 like hesitant but for whatever reason i think it was mostly because aurora who we interviewed on our show had told us there was a vortex of energy in the catskill mountains and near woodstock new york where which is famous for the whole hippie gathering that didn't happen in the town but was caused by the town so we went to woodstock for those two reasons without really the idea of you know oh we're gonna get a book and like you know none of that was on our mind we we're just exploring a place and we end up in a bookstore obviously because we're both interested in reading and finding cool books so we find this book the spirit in the stone which starts connecting these dots about what we were learning about at that time with the stones in the Met- dancing the medicine wheel book because the book talks a lot about stones as you know significant and all the different aspects of minerals but on a more of an astrological level of like each mineral connects to you for certain so but this was more in the line of like graham hancock type research because he even wrote the foreword to the book so that's what drew my mind to it i'm like oh graham hancock he's interesting and then in the book there's this chapter only one chapter about a ley line called the Hammonasset line. And I thought it was so cool because it goes straight through the state of Connecticut where we're from. So that was a synchronicity there. But then her friend knew about the Hammonasset ley line, which was so weird 
because she's i don't know i don't know she doesn't listen to podcasts but she gets a lot of information from where facebook yeah facebook yeah. so she yeah, found 50s. she's she's cool she's a cool chick you know hippie chick and she knew about the ham and asset ley line and she actually been she's been to a, a weird place called gungi womp which is like an ancient stone alignment in connecticut it's not really available to the public it's sort of like uh, a crime that i was there i was trespassing when i was there but i explored it and gail i guess had explored it too her friend some years ago so there was a weird connection there between us her the book right you're seeing the picture come together and then from that book we've only learned so much more that we just kept talking about talking about it that eventually somebody suggested that we get this other book called The Gaia Matrix, which is about ley lines, right? The Hammonasset ley line. So I think Michael Wan suggested it, and um, Michelle Gibson also suggested we read it. So I'm like, boom, okay, two people who don't know each other suggesting the same thing. That's that's a sign. So I ordered it on Amazon, which I don't typically do in it for just any book like it's only these cases when i'm like oh that's the book gotta have it amazon so i did that and when we got the book boom even more synchronicities we find out that this ham and acid ley line is not in the book but another ley line goes straight through where we're from and not only like through our hometown but like straight up through connecticut to a place Okay, and stick with me here, folks, to a place where I brought the friend who paid me to go to the airport, which brought me to the Susquehanna River in the first place. So years ago, before I was even like interested in a lot of this stuff, not really, but I was like before any of this became a reality, I had gone to this place that is the sacral chakra on this chakra ley line, right? This author says, okay, here's the root chakra. Here's the sacral chakra. Boom, boom, boom. So we've been to the root chakra our whole lives. We've been hanging out in the root root chakra pretty much. And then we, you know, both had an idea of this Bark Hampstead Reservoir, which is a beautiful place if you're in the area. You know, it's like one of the only places in Connecticut where you would lose service, you know, like that type of place. Again, we're in a megalopolis, but it's really, really pristine and remote for a super populated state. It's the reservoir for Hartford, which is the capital city. And, and it's on this ley line. So we went up to the sacral chakra or I'm sorry. And then, yeah. And then the solar chakra. Yes. That was the, the trip we went on like two weeks ago. And, you know, we go to this place called Shelburne Falls and we read a little bit about Shelburne Falls and how it's like, kind of like an artist colony and interesting things have happened there. And years before I, I would drive around and just kind of get lost driving around and i wound up there one one boom even more yeah even more layers so (laughs) let's keep going with the layers because you know it's it's personal so it's our synchronicities but it's i think people can find this same thing in their life if they use this formula so we go to Shelburne Falls. Now, here's the synchronicity with Michael Wan again. When Tara and I visited Michael Wan, the third time I've ever hung out with Mike, 
he took us to a place on the Susquehanna River where there are rocks, really interesting rocks, all going into the river, and you can kind of like walk across them and stuff. And they're called the glacial potholes. They're this really interesting sort of bowl-shaped carvings into, not carvings because they're built by glacial deposits that's how they're formed possibly some other way who knows you know it's it's strange and we don't want to believe science with everything they say but right i mean how strange were those they're yeah pretty perfect circles they're perfect circles in the stone like these bowls in the stone so look up glacial potholes like for folks who want a visual reference Mm. and then funny enough Shelburne Falls has the biggest site of glacial deposits anywhere in the United States. So we go and we see the glacial deposits there, and that was cool. But we also found another book, which she referenced just before, Mm. the Manitou Stone Book, which puts all of the other books that we got in the perspective like it's so weird how this book covers all these different topics and kind of fits in with a lot of what michael wan talks about as she said with the quaking shake or the, the the quaking shakers the shaking quakers right they were a type of quaker that like she said were dancers they were known for religious ceremonies when they would dance and, and do these songs and dances and indigenous cultures would do the same thing i mean one of the first sightings of like native americans from the dutch you know when they were sailing up the hudson river naming all these places they named a place uh like the devil's cliffs or the devil's tower because they saw indigenous people performing like a ritual that to them looked obviously you know from their christian perspective satanic but you know you us four don't agree with that perspective but that was why they would name something like that the devil's this or the devil's that because they were just superstitious but they they were dancing you know this kind of religious ceremony that includes dancing and music it's it's purely human so i think that's where the connection with the shakers and the indigenous people and this manitow stone book lies and you know like tara said we're still exploring this so i don't have a lot of conclusions but i definitely have possibly sold a few copies of uh, all four of those books by talking about them so much (laughs) i bought them all myself so but yeah that's 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 the synchronicities i guess i mean i i see my life as a story and i think everyone's life should you know be their story right yeah that they are writing themselves a lot of us like you said when you're living in that corporate life you know you didn't use these words but i i think you you meant this too you're not living your own story you're not writing the story of your own life and what you two are doing is radically changing the script up you know and saying no this is the new chapter and it looks like this and we're the authors now and i think that's what everybody should do is is write their own the story of their life and you'll find that the synchronicities are just the fun uh reminder that you're doing something right Oh, agreed. I know when we started this podcast and it more synchronicities would pop up, you know, and I just feel like now that we're removing ourselves pretty much from the matrix, our, our usual lives that we've been living our whole freaking life, you know, it's, I feel like even more of the synchronicities are going to continue and I'm really excited. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. Even though we're going to like a little, little house on the prairie rural area, <laughs> it's, it's totally, it's, that's the best I, place I to that. be. That's where the energy is going to be purest. Yeah, exactly. 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 And you'll start to yeah. play with it. And you know, oh, that's what I imagine happening and, and does happen. <sighs> no, I'm the, the nature we were out there in July, this past July mm. and it just felt like home and the amount of wildlife in the area and the lack of cell phone service, you know, it's, it's refreshing and I can't wait to be away from being bombarded with EMFs constantly because we're in the city and just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, it's yeah. going to be a brand new part of our story. And that's the, that's the part of the story I'm really excited because I don't know where it's going to go, mm-hmm. but I know that it's going to be great because we're together. So I know it's going to be great because everything we've done together has been great. And every time we've set our mind to doing something and accomplishing something, I mean, the fact that we're in our house right now, we set our goal to buy this house and now we're making our goal to let part with it and to make a better life. And I, I know that's going to work out too, because this wow. worked out. Yeah. Buffalo and legs. I love it. <laughs> Those are inspiring. Yeah, very much. I'm excited to, to hear and see it, it all unfolds. unfolds. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're going to share. We're definitely going to be putting out more content since we'll have time and yeah. we're going to share our journey. And I think you two should hit the road for sure. Oh, it yeah. seems like oh. you guys are just drawn to adventure, adventure, being on the road. Yeah. I say that cause I'd like you guys to come visit us. <laughs> <laughs> kind of selfish reason, but <laughs> yeah, that would be yeah. really cool. Would, yeah, absolutely. Add them to the list. Maybe get a camper van and just, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wake down. up every day under the stars. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I love that. Oh man. This is, this has been awesome. We don't want to take too much more of your guys' time. If you want, we can get into the songs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mark yeah. Yeah. Tara, let's, let's get Tara, in. If you'd like to share too. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Send us some songs so we can add to the, to Go the get, could you, Oh my god! <laughs> did you guys hear that? <laughs> How did you hear that? I thought I muted myself. I heard that. I, I heard, heard that. everything. We, we all heard everything. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> your your songs. I'm not gonna lie. The only artist I knew of was Aesop Rock because I'm I'm a fan of Aesop Rock. But your first three, I I listened to them before we were hanging out. So I'm actually kind of glad you're late because we gave us time to listen to everything, and. These are all bangers. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and All of these are bangers. You, you introduced us to conscious rap yeah. as a genre. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And what? Shit was, it was bomb. That's all. <laughs> all right. Maybe I should add that to my, my part of my story. Because I'll tell you what, like my father, he's definitely pushed me in a lot of directions and not really, you know, <laughs> what he intended. But when I was like working for him as like a, a weed whacker and a lo- like using the blower, like we would go and mow lawns and I would listen to rap music and I just got more and more gravitated towards the conscious rap. And I think at first it was like the aggression of like not wanting to be there doing that at like 14 years old. Like I wanted to hang out with my friends on the weekends, not mow lawns, but like, 
you know, that kind of grinded me into like having a harder work ethic, which was good, but also the conscious rap, like that's been a part of my life since I was really young. And, and that's kind of what also woke me up to what was going on in the world. Cause I'm like, all this music is so cool and nobody appreciates it. It doesn't get on the billboards. It doesn't like none of my friends know any of these artists. As a matter of fact, I play the songs and people are like, what is this? Get it off. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and I would have conversations with people like, do you guys listen to music for lyrics or for the beat? And like, eight out of ten times people would say the beat so i realized like oh people aren't listening to music for the same reasons i am but maybe it was because i was so bored mowing lawns i would listen to what they're actually saying in the song and i would have an ipod so there's it was not the phone days when you can just have like infinite songs it was limited you know once i went through the two 300 songs i had downloaded you started it over and kept listening to them you know so it was a sort of like conscious rap became like my narrative for this kind of conspiracy world that didn't exist that much in those times but guys like vinnie paz illogic and dc the midi alien is kind of uh lesser known but he's a part of that whole group and and yeah i'm, I'm glad you guys were shared something new there for sure yeah you brought up vinnie paz that's actually a recommendation that we received from a friend of ours in finland that we've talked to on the podcast a few times right he, that was one of his songs and uh, so they like are said, very kind of introduced us to this whole genre we didn't even know was called conscious rap yeah, yeah it's international too like they're much more popular as rappers in europe than they are in america i've noticed ra the rugged man who's been on tinfoil hat he's i think he even like lives in germany now because he was so well received by european audiences as a rapper he's like fuck it i'm a i'm a married german woman and live in germany like this is way better than scraping by in you know boston or wherever he's from you know that's awesome oh man Oh man, yeah. So your first your first one was World Wounds by DC Mid the Midi Alien. Mm -hmm. Why you what makes you choose this song? Well, I I felt like you know, I have a lot of rap songs I could have picked and I felt like that album just is like conspiracy theory. Like that whole album has a concept to it like they're t a rap group that hijacks a conservative radio station so in that time period when you know the propaganda on fox news was the propaganda unlike today where maybe people are more like oh msnbc is the but in those times like that's what it was you know like george bush was in office and he was the asshole you know what do they call it i forget how what whatever but anyway so so yeah that's why i picked it because it's very like f the establishment and they kind of are inspiring at the same time as being like uh graphic which a lot of those songs can be very graphic you know and kind of violent which is why i don't listen to them as much as i used to but within that graphic violence there is a lot of truth and it also expresses the like real situation of growing up in an impoverished area rather than what we see in television and movies which is just this sort of archetypical you know bullshit version of it yeah, yeah. oh man so your, your next song was they wonder why i'm insane <laughs> they wonder why i'm insane mm, I, I, love, I love this one <laughs> this one came off to that was me. good and this one's biologic right yes yeah. 
Yes, I, and I picked him because a lot of people hear me say the rapper Illogic, and they think I'm talking about this guy named Logic. And I think this has happened in rap a couple times where, like, really, really conscious artistic rappers will have, like, a guy that comes in and, like, jacks their name. I don't know if it's manipulated so that, like, people don't go to the first guy because the second guy comes around. But every time I talk about him, people are like, oh, Logic, I love him. And it's like, no, 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 Illogic, Illogic, Illogical. And I picked that because of the name of the song. And also, I used to love that song. And, and uh, yeah, when I was interested in conspiracy theories, it started with conscious rap and He's one of those guys for sure. And the name of the title of that song is like the same name as my podcast pretty much. <laughs> for sure. Oh man, I love it. Dangerous Minds mm. by Styles of Beyond is right. your next choice. Yes. And that is because that whole album is like back and forth between two rappers. Like, and you don't see that anymore in rap today where like, people will go word for word with each other and that's what these rappers did in that time and still do you know those guys aren't dead they all make albums still and i do listen to their new stuff when it comes out but like styles of beyond that guy ryu and talk are like the two rappers in that group and they're just like and then the other guy's like like i'm not a rapper so i'm not gonna pantomime it but you get what i'm saying like one guy goes in the other so that on an artistic level is one of my favorite albums and they talk about some deep stuff in that song as well you know so yeah <laughs> that's interesting at the base of it if you think about it it's two dudes writing poetry to each other and it is. it's really kind of it's like a it's that's probably the best way to battle honestly well and it was a cooperative effort but yeah i mean they weren't it, it's a little different than battle rap because they're kind of like they are writing poetry with each other in the sense that like, I think a lot of that rap comes from the perspective of like, you're competing with other people. So you do have the, the, like the, the, everything is like, I do this and I'm the best at this. And, and you see that that got like turned into like a worse, worse version of itself with rap now where it's like, I got all the money and I got all the bitches, you know, like these guys were actually creative with their like I statements, which I don't, I'm not gravitated a lot towards those sorts of lyrics. I'm more interested in story lyrics or like somebody who's going to try to be poetic, actually poetic and have like double meanings or other little nuances and, and hint at things or like Vinnie Paz, who you were suggesting. I should have put end of days by Vinnie Paz. Cause that's a really great song. Cause it just has so many conspiracy theories in it. Like it's just, that's what it is. And he's not like, Oh, well this is, this song's a theory. Like, <laughs> you know, he, he tells you what's going on in the world and that's it, you know, and it took me years to to realize like, oh, okay, these things in the song are all real, like legit real. Like he was talking about conspiracy theories, but from that time period and that perspective, that was a huge understanding for me. For sure. Shout out to Ronnie in Finland. I remember when we played that song, I was so high and I just hear the lyrics and I was like, oh my God, this is this is just, real shit. I was just mm. laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Oh, man. 
And then uh, your last song, Boombox Apocalypse, which I, I don't think I heard this one from Aesop Rock. So this one was really cool when I listened to it because I kind of like this. I'm 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 not sure which album None Shall Pass is on, but mm. that song has always been like that's like the song that repeats in my head sometimes. Mm. One of those earworm songs. Yeah. So this song I was down with. What what made you choose this song? Well, I'm glad you guys mentioned your handbook for the apocalypse at the beginning because this is a nice way to conclude because that's that's why. Like I listened to that song and the name, obviously, but also like same thing with Logic. Like a lot of people thought ASAP Rock. When I would talk about ASAP Rock, I meant ASAP Rocky. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about ASAP Rock. Like he's a different person and he's much better than ASAP Rocky. So I'm insulted that you would even make that comparison. <laughs> so it, it was almost a vindication for those two guys, Illogic and ASAP Rock. Because they, like I said, you know, that music in that time period helped me get to where I'm at now. You know, and, and his music is super, super coded. Like it's not it's not the same as any of the other songs we've mentioned. Like his Aesop Rock's lyrics are if we're gonna talk about poetry, like that's actual poetry. Like he's he's if you read what he's rapping, you you wouldn't understand it. Whereas most rappers today, like you you could find children who write better than that. And that's not to say anything about those men's intelligence. It's just they're like in a certain art form that makes them think that that's more, that's going to garner them more success or whatever the, you know, there's a whole bunch of conspiracies with that we can get into another time. But I, I, I prefer intelligent music. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And I think that when you resonate with an artist that says something about you, so I just have always gravitated towards people who've who've been intelligent with their lyrics, and Aesop Rock is always impressive in that realm. And and half of his songs, like I don't even know what they mean, but I'll still listen to them and be fascinated. Like, oh, what does he mean, the mayor and the brick? Like, what's that about? You know, or the the crook, and you know, all these different, you know, little. He, I mean, Aesop's fables is where that comes from, and that's literally what he's. I mean, really creating is like these magical fantastical worlds in each song so i had to include him in that and yeah it's funny because sam has talked to ra the rugged man and he's talked to immortal technique and i've reached out to a couple different rappers and they don't seem all that interested in being on podcasts but like at least the guys that i really respect but i think that's because they found that way to express that truth, you know, through music and not through blabbering on like I do. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for introducing us to conscious rap. Tara, I don't know if you wanted to share a few songs that either. I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, that's why I told you to get your phone in case you could like look through Spotify. Cause I, that's how I found, I looked through my liked songs. Cause I don't like a song unless I'm like really moved by it. So I went yeah. through my songs and I was like, okay, I like this. I remember this one. I remember this one. And this is a good one too, you know? So I don't know, if, if you, if you don't, it's no big deal. Well, I don't have like the deep, uh, explanations for why i love these songs but um all good at the river 
by Groove Armada, Sweet Tides by Thievery Corporation, Orange Moon by Erica Badu, and Keep on the Sunny Side by the Carter Family. Yeah, we sing that one together, so go look up that music video. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm definitely a fan of Groove Armada, so okay. I, I, like, I dig that. <laughs> For sure. And that's more of the type of music I listen to lately is she's inspired me to be more on the lighter things. Because I think music, if we're going to go back to synchronicity, I think music plays a huge role in your daily mood and your emotions and all of that. You know, you hear pump up workout playlists and stuff like Mm -hmm. that's people do that for a reason. I think if you listen to songs that have a certain mood, you're going to start to resonate in that mood more and. And when I was listening to a lot of that rap, like I described, can be graphic and violent sometimes, it would kind of leave me with a, a, a darker outlook on life that I definitely don't get into on my show. Not that I, I'm not honest about who I am on my show, but I always, like we talked about before, try to keep it on the positive side. Like we can talk about Crowley, but let's keep it on the positive side. Let's not like totally like think the world is ruined just because this asshole did a bunch of spells, you know? Like, like, and I think people can be guilty of that in the podcasting community sometimes. I myself of like getting afraid of something and then not being responsible with with your audience in that way and your voice and like you know this show it definitely falls into the category of positive and inspiring for sure and and i think that's like the type of music i try to listen to and she listens to that music just because that's what she's into she doesn't even need a a deep explanation for it like i do (laughs) i just yeah or maybe she does i I don't know i you know i do now but um just like growing up and and for most of my life i just went with what felt good and didn't really pay close attention to you know what the what the lyrics or what the story was so but that's all part of the shadow work i I set the bar a little high there by going first i think that's all that was (laughs) it's all good yeah, I can definitely resonate with that, Tara, because in high school I was like big on emo music and it was mostly just like the sound and not really paying attention to the lyrics, kind of paying attention. And a lot of that shit is just dark and, you know, cut your wrist and yeah. black your eyes type shit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, <laughs> I got into the, the emo scene and the hardcore scene. Oh, yeah. So it was just all about expressing that rage and whatnot and then yeah and then got older and started to groove a bit more and just like that and yeah now now I see how paying attention to the lyrics and and reading things and letting it in it it feeds my soul the depth that it I'm hungry for like Depth of My Soul is another good song by Thievery Corporation. So, yeah, there we go. Right on. (laughs) We're going to add these to the list. Yeah. Sure. You're working references into your your commentary. I love it. (laughs) I love you. We love you, too. Yeah, you guys Um, are great. We love you. This is 
been like an incredible, I feel like this has been a little spiritual and I appreciate that because we like to keep it light. We like to keep it positive, but I feel, you know, I feel where there's a connection here. So I'm, we I'm gotta, really enjoying this. We got to do this again from start to finish with her by my side real yes. soon. Maybe like, you know, after you guys are nice and settled into your new place and whatnot, mm-hmm. we'll reschedule yeah. uh, another conversation. Cause I agree. I think we got uh real good vibes here and I, I'll, share the love i love you guys too this has been real fun i appreciate so you much love. appreciate you so much for for inviting me to do your show and and i don't i don't remember if we were like if i asked i don't know maybe i shouldn't okay. thank okay. you but either way <laughs> i you know i'm you're glad here. we're here yeah <laughs> we're glad you're here yeah i'm glad it worked that's out. all that matters now it doesn't matter how, what led us to here we're here now yeah. so that's what's important right i appreciate on. it yeah we're gonna we'll, we'll get moved up pretty quick so I'll let you know and then let's book something else so we can get together. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do this. Yeah. Mark, do you want to share with our listeners where they can find you? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again for having us both Tara and I, she's got a new podcast on the way. It's in the, it's in the works. It's changed. It's changed names five times already. So we'll see. We'll see see what happens, but it is, it is in the works. Okay. If you want to stay updated on that, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC, because we'll probably put it there first. And and that's where we got a bunch of other stuff going on. Like I said before, we did some work with the moon this summer that we recorded and and shared what we learned on the Patreon. And then myfamilythinksomecrazy.com is where you can find all the links and I hope people listen to this on a podcast app and, you know, support us there. Listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you listen to this right now. Awesome. For sure. Thanks, you too.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, reptilioids, aliens, uh, time travelers, everyone alike. If you're listening to this, welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. And of course, we have our amazing guest, Mark Steves, on today. Mark, how the fuck are you doing, dude? I'm doing real well. Glad to be here for the first time. Glad to be talking to you for, uh, I think, maybe the fifth or sixth, seventh, eighth time. I mean, if we're going to count the off-air conversations, too. So this is going to be fun. I'm ready to get into it. It's just going to be a hang, and I'm really looking forward to it as well. You run, of course, the amazing show My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, which I love. Uh, that is what the title of this episode will be, just simply based on that it's amazing. And it's and I'm way more uh, sympathetic to that lately, and you and I may get into that today. We may not. But uh, you also do the Alt Media United, which I am a part of, which I am extremely grateful for. And, dude, you just do, like, such an amazing job. And we were just kind of chatting before on hand here, and we've had previous conversations. You've graciously had me on your show, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, we've just, you've just been like this awesome lighthouse, man. And I just, you know, want to tell you how grateful I am for you, but also just let you know that I'm pumped up just to have you on my show, dude. This is great. So uh, how, how's everything going with you, man? Really well. I mean, you know, and that's just like a nice, polite way to not, you know, dump all my personal crap on you, but you know, (laughs) life is, life is average as usual. I'm just a normal guy. And, and that really means a lot to me to hear that because two Years ago, I was just a random dude listening to podcasts. You know, I didn't know Tripoli. I didn't know Eddie Bravo. I still don't know Eddie Bravo, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, and, and I, now I feel like there's a tremendous amount of respect that people give me. And I, I like to just, you know, be very clear in the sense that I know part of it is because I work for Sam and, and part of it is because Sam's helped me get to where I'm at so much. And because of that, I said, well, I can't just be this, you know, guy who has a show and, and works for Tripoli and, 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 you know, like gatekeeper was the feeling that I was getting. And I'm like, you know what? A cooperative is the opposite of that because it's inclusive, it's supportive, and it's voluntary, right? So when Alex Sakaris and I had the opportunity or like the, the time on hand to create this, you know, that's the direction we took it. It could have went in the direction of a network. It could have went in the direction of a production company. But I took it in the direction of a cooperative because I felt like podcasting has been totally, you know, and I'm not a sociologist or anything. So I don't know the official terms, but it's been very, like, mutually beneficial on all fronts. You know, there's very, very minimal competition in podcasting. And I think the people who are competitive have the wrong idea of what they're really doing, you know, because... You know, as you've seen, there's so much room for us to share content with each other, share share time with each other, and create these amazing conversations that I used to benefit so much from as a listener and now have the opportunity of, you know, creating and taking part in them for future listeners. You're 100% right. I was just talking to Chris Matthew last night. We were talking about this as well, that it is this cooperative and it's a rising tide raises all ships kind of model, Mm. which we all follow, man. We are all strong and hard on the law of abundancy and we practice it all the time. But like you said, man, I've benefited so much just from these conversations. And that's why that whole like, oh, I'm in competition with these guys never fucking crossed my mind, dude. It is the furthest thing. I'm excited to be cooperative with you guys because y'all are absolutely incredible like all the times that i talk to you guys i learn more it it gets more comfortable like and you as just people i know that we've never met face to face in person it's your brother man i mean and that's that's a beautiful thing and i think we all kind of feel this 
this camaraderie, you know, that comes in with exploring these ideas, especially because they're fringe topics. And it's great that we can all kind of be, I guess, beacons of light for folks to come find and to find people out there having discussions, not like what you're hearing around your normal water cooler at your job. Mm. Well, that's, uh, that's that's the depressing stuff, you know, like that's where you get dragged down because when you're as aware as you and I are, and, and I imagine all the listeners of this show are, as aware as we all are, and you hear that water cooler talk being as bland and as diminutive as it is, it really just like, I don't know, for me personally, drove a heart, a uh, stake into my heart, like, oh man, like this is the world I'm in. And it's such yeah. a relief to be, you know, with all the caveats that come with being connected to cyberspace, it's a relief to be connected to people who see the the same truths. And, and that's not because I enjoy being in an echo chamber, but it's like really, really like, I think fundamentally human to be a part of a tribe, you know, maybe a better word clan. Now that I say that out loud, probably the worst word you can use uh, in today's climate, but you know, in, in our small communities, yeah, in our in a, in a small community of people who see the world at least in a similar way you do. You know, we don't have to see eye to eye, but I think that's what's so cool about the podcasting realm too is like I listened to, you know, one podcast for a couple of years and then, you know, something changed and I found another podcast and I listened to that for a couple of years, you know, and that's now slight to the the former podcast. It's just, you know, my taste changed and that's how consensual podcasting is. It's like, you know, I'm on to the next one, new information, you know, and I hope people find that with my show and, and the same thing with the guests too. Like if you listen to my show, find Brandon Thomas and then you become like a number one expanding reality fan. I don't care. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad I introduced you to him. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to keep everybody on my show. You know, it's like it, it does what it does for me. And if it does something for you, that's a plus. I feel the exact same. And that's why, and that's what I tell people, look, I'm not like selling books and shit. And I don't put links to people in the show notes so that I can be like, only I can contact them and you can. It's like, no, no, no. I put all that shit out there. It's not even about me at all. That's why there aren't pictures of me and shit everywhere. It's, it's about the guests. It's about the ideas. And this is what I promote and push. That's why I like with you guys, man, it's, it's just all about the connection. It's all about the ideas and go talk to these people, you know, reach out. If we have another podcaster, go check out their damn show. That's why, we had you on because I like you, but I want people to go hear your show because I like your show. And so that's like the way that this works. And it's only an expansion of ideas, you know, and back to what you said about liking a show for a little while, this is analogous to like a band or something, you know, so bands have a style and then they exist within a certain, let's say five to 10 year window, if they're lucky. And then that style changes for all of society right now. Some folks like green day or Metallica can just ride that out. Right. But a lot of times, a lot of your past memories, a lot of old relationships and things are wrapped up into some key songs and stuff, which is also why bands fall off. It's like, oh, I'll never listen you know, to the Goo Goo Dolls again because I like my girlfriend loved that and she broke my heart. And now you're just over that band. It had nothing to do with them. It had to do with the memory you had associated with it. But what I find interesting about what you said about, and I think that a good podcaster or somebody that delivers interesting information to stay interesting is to evolve with their audience. You know, like this show, that's why it's called expanding 
I wanted the verb. We're always doing it. It's not finite. You know, this is a continuing process and I grow with the audience and that's, I do that through sharing ideas with folks like you, man. Well, and that's, that's a perfect segue to my, my plan to reveal my plan that in the future, the the podcast will be titled, my family thought I was crazy. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's optimistic, right? Because it's like they changed their mind. Right. It's like they used to, but now they're on board. But now I'm like hanging out with Joe Rogan, and I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the big mansion and all that. Yeah, no, I think I think that's like, you know, thank you for saying all those kind things. I think that's why, you know, the show's resonated with so many people, because that title rings so true to people who are trying to expand their reality. I mean, quite honestly, most people I've found. This isn't anything against them. The world is overwhelming in many ways, and it's not always easy to expand your reality, but I think there's a certain person or a quality in a person where you see like, oh, okay, this person is striving to improve themselves on a physical, mental, or spiritual level, and then there's another group of people who, for whatever reason, they get blocked, you know, and or they just never saw that side of life, unfortunately. And I don't I hope my show can be a bridge to feeling more confident in that because you're you like resonate with the title like, yeah, my family thinks I'm crazy, too. What am I going to do about it? And then you, you find out like, oh, this guy, uh, David Way, moved out of California and went to China and became a monk, you know, like that was an inspiring episode I did like or maybe right. Sean Beaupre, who had like a crazy mushroom experience and connected with Thoth. And then now his parents are like, OK, be a professional skateboarder. We understand, Sean. We love you. You know, like yeah. I feel that like that's awesome. He is. He is. I hope he comes on the show if he hasn't already, because I think he's going to start his own podcast soon. But either way, you know, there's so many um, people out there in the world. And when you realize like, oh, wow, I'm not alone on so many different levels. As a matter of fact, there are people whose family thinks they're crazier than I am. Now it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like use me as the, as the buffer. Like my family thinks I'm nuts, you know, like if your family just kind of thinks you're crazy, then you're doing, you're doing pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. My family thinks I'm batshit right now. So I may have (laughs) one up to you lately. Uh, It's been a very interesting ride. Just a little peek behind the curtain with me. But what do you think the deal is psychologically with that split? What's inherent for folks to, and it, it doesn't even seem like half. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. From my perspective, it just seems about like an 80, 20, if we're lucky, 20% of us are like us, right? But it seems like this overwhelming majority kind of follow this narrative or this script or this program. So what do you think that has to do with? Why do you think that there's a certain number of people that are always looking for truth and others, no matter what evidence is presented, won't look at it? Well, I think comfortability plays a role in it, you know, and, and I'm a little jaded in the sense that like where I'm from, people tend to be on the either highest end of the spectrum as far as wealth or the lowest. Like there's really not that much mid-range and the mid-range in in connecticut where i'm from is pretty up there it's not like a, a middle class like it is in most states so i think here i'm a little jaded because like i've seen the the disparity i've seen the intellectuality of like those ivy league universities up close and personal like working around people like that and realizing like okay you guys aren't as intelligent as you put on you're you know filling this role and once i realized that that they're everybody's just playing a role and like the impression we have of these people in these you know 
gilded towers isn't what they'd like us to you know see it, it really shook me up and, and made me realize like oh okay i can be equal to these people because for the longest time in my life i was in a sort of lack mindset of like oh i'm not good enough i'm not smart enough i'm not rich enough all these kind of thoughts came through my mind which creates a fear to do better and i think most people resonate with that like they they, they compare themselves to the world around them and then they strive for better but it's just it's a sort of out of fear and i think where that switched for me was when i started acting out of love and i think that isn't exactly the the incentivized modus operandi for our society i think our society incentivizes that fear mindset more than it incentivizes that love mindset i think you could still get to the truth from the fear mindset but i think there's a certain quality to i guess you would say agape which is like not love for yourself or your community but like love on a metaphysical higher realm sort of love for all i think when you connect with that you start to really erase those in those boundary lines that society creates and you start to see the bigger picture the whole right and it's a feeling that pushes you towards understanding more and more because we're all curious and i think that love energy is something that unfortunately most people are incentivized out of diving into deeper you know they love everybody loves in the sense of like they love themselves or they love somebody in their life but to love the whole world i think is an energy that carries you towards something greater than yourself because you're making a decision in that moment and at every time you push that feeling forward of um self-sacrifice in the sense of like not that you're going to be a martyr but that your immediate little toilings and all the little things you have to get done in your life become less and less important in the wider grander scope of things and when you can align those toilings those things you do daily with that greater scope of things i think people who are in that fear mindset are like what is this guy or gal doing? Like, you know, it just comes off strange because people are taught that the world is a certain way. And when you really learn to, I don't know, feel past that, I think it happens to people by accident through trauma or through isolation or through that feeling I described of like knowing I was smart, but seeing what I was up against and trying to justify those odds in some way and a whole happy heaping help of cannabis definitely helped out if i could butcher that but yeah i don't know i think i think cannabis and love man really were the the two things that vibrated me towards this other understanding that my family thinks i'm crazy for you know and that and that comes from like how i view politics how i view society how i view dieting how i view just my emotions and, and how like I respond to certain things. Like the other day, my aunt asked me like, what's going on, Mark? You know, kind of like what's new. That was the question she asked what's new. And I, I, I was real honest with her. I love my aunt. I was real honest with her. I said, I said, if I told you, I, I mean, I don't know what I think about on a given 
day is not, you know, the average, what the average person thinks about. And she got so upset. She was like, what do you mean? You think you're so smart blowing smoke up your butt? Like, you know, like, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, you're not going to think about ley lines or, or stone alignments or, you know, the ancient history of this continent we're on like and that's what i've been thinking about this week on jocelyn so you know a lot yeah yeah and then she hit me with the well why does that matter like you're you know what why does it why would it matter to me you know and and i'm really paraphrasing this because it happened two weeks ago but my my thought was like well it does matter you're just not aware of why it matters and you interact with ley lines and these stone alignments throughout your your week because you drive by some of them, you know, at least the ones that I've noticed. So it's like you do kind of, this does affect you on a really, really subtle level. And that's what I'm usually concerned with is that other level of reality that the average person isn't. So help me out here. Throw me the, throw me the, <laughs> the, the lifeboat. Yeah, exactly. It- it does feel though that those people that are out there, including family members, man, I mean, it's like this system, it, whatever the hell this place is, you know, and I say this all the time, I've been questioning the actual substance of reality itself. Like what the fuck is this place? Right. But one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, is that the adversaries here, although they're large in number, they're supposed to be that way to stand out, to be so ridiculous as to be the obvious not way to go. And it's almost like it's set up here to lead people to this conclusion now some people may play a role here and you might look at them as like non-player characters or something like that or just artifacts of the matrix or whatever but it does feel like uh that that there's an overwhelming adversity here and that it does take the hero's journey to kind of step into those roles and to say man there's got to be something more to this and to kind of follow that and pursue it even and especially at the threat of ostracization right at the threat of being thrown out of the tribe because you're a wacko, but it's not like that anymore. It is a, a huge switch. And I did think, I do think that the, my family thought I was crazy is great. And that's probably going to be truer than we know coming up because this great awakening or this grand shift in consciousness is definitely occurring. And I think we can all agree with this. You see people that are uh, having an awesome time with this, which are folks like me and you, because it's like, awesome. We got a bunch of new people to talk to and things to talk about and ideas to explore with a greater input because there are more people contributing to the conversation. And so, but the, the people who really have their shit figured out air quotes for the audio only audience, then uh, they're having a really rough time with this right now. They're having a really rough time with their belief systems, their religious systems and what they thought their solid rigid world was based on is crumbling to the ground all around them. And I feel bad for those people, man, because they made decisions to make really hard line choices in their they're lying in the sand and they lived by those quite well. But now it feels like with this shift, all of this stuff is just crumbling down, man. I mean, do you empathize with that or have you seen any of that in your experience? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, over here where I'm at, it feels like people have leaned into the propaganda and, and like just, you know, gone with it because like I said, there's that level of comfortability where it's still not affecting them yeah, the masks are uncomfortable, but so is their politics. Like they're they're totally comfortable living with that political mindset. That's that's the politics of it. I think people who are waking up are the people who aren't comfortable, who are like, Oh wow, this is this is becoming a lot. I have to, you know, do the VP and I gotta get the you know, show that everywhere I go and get the jab and 
the cooties are everywhere. Give me a break already. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. But at the same time, you know, my family, for the most part, there doesn't seem like they're ready to do Thanksgiving or Christmas this year because of the, all the BS, you know. And so I don't think many people have have woken up to it. I think they're just kind of, unfortunately, going along with whatever's going to make things go back to normal again you know that's that's never gonna fucking happen right but you know and this isn't quite my forte but what i will say briefly about it is like my thought and i was saying this to tara yesterday is like they're going to push the this as far as they can obviously for the crypto currency the blockchain the transhumanist smart city future but I think that's where it stops is the cities. So what I was telling my, my girlfriend is like, I hope you enjoyed the last time we were in New York City because that was it. Like that was the that was the last time we're ever going to be in New York City as it kind of used to be. And it's still, you know, for the past five years has been weird. Last year when I was there was was pretty nice, actually. It was it was nice in the sense that like it was summertime. Nobody was forcing me to wear a mask when I was in certain places, but for the most part, everybody was wearing a mask. And then like the year before that, when it was just totally normal, it was just, you know, in my opinion, like I wouldn't know it, you know, I'm not a New York. I just go there every now and then it was, it was pretty chaotic. And like, I liked how calm down it got, you know, but I don't think that they're going to be able to, manage that chaos i think it's going to go back to that chaos and and it's going to be mitigated with these new smart technologies and watching people and and pushing people into a police state and for folks like us i think the the you know imperative is going to be just to not go to places like that like to avoid places like that and live your life in the more off-grid rural areas where those changes aren't going to be so quick to you know affect the average you know rural and country town i don't think they're going to be so quick with the 5g grid i think we're looking at 50 60 to maybe even 100 years before that stuff gets you know globalized even if it like if it even does you know i don't know like i like i said this isn't my forte i didn't want to go into it too far but like that seems to be the ever-present fear right now, and the average person has no idea that that's coming. They just see it as like, oh, everybody's been getting sick. We need to do this to stop people from getting sick, and, and folks in our community are like, no, no, no. They're warming us up for some huge, great reset, you know, and yeah. in my opinion, I'm like trying to stay as positive as I can, as centered in love as I can. And I think that that doomsday of like a technocratic globalist, you know, hellscape is, isn't a reality for me and I'm going to gravitate away from it. Like that's, that's just the truth for me. I can't say what's going to happen for the whole world, but like I know on a personal level, I'm not going to feed into that fear. I'm not going to learn all about the little like ins and outs of the security state and the smart cities 
because I don't want to gravitate towards that. You know, I don't want my life to gravitate towards that. I'm not going to be the, you know, hero John Connor who fights the smart city and defeats Skynet. That's just not me. I'd rather connect with the mountain spirits and connect with the river spirits while they're still able to even interact with us because they've been bogged down. I mean, you've talked to Michael Wan. He's talked about this 400-year spell that they put on the largest river or on the East Coast, not the largest river in the United States, but the largest and oldest river in the East Coast, which is the Susquehanna River. And, you know, they quite literally took it and, and locked it down energetically. So that's where I've been, like, interested in lately is how do I connect with these land spirits that have been calling to me my whole life. You know, really, I've always been kind of fascinated with this sort of thing. And it wasn't only till really recently that I've begun to understand how to fully interact with this other world that I've only sensed for maybe the past five years. Well, I, for one, am going to start a GoFundMe for people to contribute to the finances of a movie of you being replaced as the lead in Terminator type situation. Because, dude, just to see you try and save the world, just rolling up blunts while you're like riding on a motorcycle, I, I would, I really want to see this film. So maybe we'll we'll start something with yes. that. But to what you said about it being controlled in the cities, I, I think you really hit on a on a massive idea here that actually is brilliant. So I, I kind of want to pick that apart a little bit. So. When, whenever we talk about choice and free will, and what I've been saying from the beginning, if you want to feed into this, and a lot of people say this, this isn't just me, but for my audience, we've been going on this journey for a while, that if you want to feed into that, you're absolutely welcome to, but you don't have to. Like it's not, yeah, it's coercion, but it's, it's still your choice, right, ultimately. And to the larger scale of this, taking it to where there are people, admittingly, that don't want fuck all to do with anything extra. They want to fit in. They want to fall in line. They want to be a part of that. And that's fine. And what's interesting about it is maybe this is the ultimate kind of like play in your own yard kind of thing with this idea that people in these smart cities, which, yeah, they scare the shit out of you and the, you know, the great reset, this Klaus Schwab douchebag and all that. They can scare the shit out of you about it if you want to get scared about it and just even side off of that just to what you said about not even researching smart cities and learning how they operate and work because you don't even want to be that familiar with them because it's that far out of your your reality fucking awesome I, I adore that perspective because that's what i'm saying like to this idea all the people like us have a beautiful place in nature to go all the people who don't give a fuck all about nature and just want to fall in line in the system and their cars and their football games and all that shit which again there's nothing wrong with but if they want to do that, they're actually being provided a place to go do that. And even better, it's going to be a totalitarian regime that locks you down, that tracks everywhere you go, that you're going to be social credit score, you know, govern me harder, daddy. Right. <laughs> and so it's like this idea of, well, you do get what you want and we get the ultimate freedom because they're going to just leave us the fuck alone. And they're going to not only do that, but they're going to provide like a, you know, like those uh, lamps that you can put outside where the flies attract to it and they get zapped. That's what they do for douchebags. So they put these douchebag city lamps all over the place. And then, yeah, just stay the fuck out of them and you're going to be just fine. It's the ultimate choice. I love this idea. I love it. Well, and I, I think, you know, there's a lot I agree with in what you just said, but there's a lot I disagree with. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be like in that thought mindset in the first place because like, yeah, I think I think that's right. You know, we have to be rested on our own will and, you know, responsible for our actions and the consequences of our actions, but at the same time these government governmente, you know, agents, if we'll just simplify it down to that label, they're working on, you know, 
a grid of control, which I don't think is going to, you know, afford us the, the liberty of just like, oh, yeah, we can just hang out in the woods while every like they're going to try to push people into the cities, force them into the cities and hunt down whoever's in the natural spaces under the guise of like, oh, well, we need to protect the environment. Right. So not that I'm like putting my head in the sand, I'm going to go start a hippie commune and run around in the woods. But like, that's where my focus needs to be. If I want to live in touch with nature, I need to take on the globalists on that front. Like, how are they going to be messing with, you know, and if, if what you say is true, which I don't, what I didn't agree with is like, it's okay. Like, I, 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 it's your show. So I appreciate yeah, that's that. That's my favorite part of it is that it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I, I have to listen to my mom and, and my family go like, oh, football, this and that. Like, they love football. And I, I don't like sports at all. So I don't see that as a positive. I see it as like, oh, there's some conspiracies in there. And, and yeah, we're going to offend a bunch of people by getting into that topic. So maybe we'll save it for another day. But yeah. So I, I I appreciate it and I understand why you say that, but like I'm I'm more I'm I'm very radical about that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, and that's why my my family thinks I'm crazy because when the sports game is on, I'm like fuck this, you know, like so there is an attitude of of that and an element of that, and you know, I don't want to totally turn around and go back on what I said, but I do think that. Ignorance is not bliss. So not that I don't want to know all the ins and outs of the smart cities, but I, I want to know everything I can to keep myself out or keep myself safe from whatever's coming from that. Right. And, and I don't know, man, I, I just, I don't want to, again, gravitate into the, the fear mindset. Cause that's kind of what we're talking about and why it's detrimental. But there is that element of like, where am I going to go? I was born into a place that was kind of, it's kind of like stuck in between New York city and Boston. And and it doesn't seem like a good time to go and like, just drive out in the middle of nowhere right now. Like, you know, I'm kind of in a, in a point where I want to find a new place to live, but nowhere seems right. (laughs) You know? So that's kind of my mindset. I know, when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, cities, I would love to be in a city, you know, hang out with friends all the time, be around people all the time, always doing fun stuff. But over time, as I've grown, I've gotten to really respect the peace and the comfort of being out in your own rural area. You know, when I say own, I mean your own as in like you look around and no one is there. You're all the way out there on your own, you know, like I think there's enough space on this planet for all of us to have a little piece of land that we can steward and maintain. How are we going to get there? I don't know, because it seems to me like the globalists, like we kind of said, are pushing people into smart cities and then clearing the forests and, and, and leaving all access you know, only based on their permission. You can't go there unless you're allowed to, unless you're a researcher, unless you're a park ranger, unless you're a, and you know, I'm not cool with that. I don't want to be a refugee. I don't want to be a terrorist just for going into the forest, you know, like that's, it's just uh, a bold, bold new world we're living in, a brave new world, I should say. (laughs) And you're absolutely right. Now, I am a chronic optimist and sometimes, you know, um, to a default probably, but 
I'm going to just explore this a little bit further with you because I think that the only part that we diverge in your idea is where they start hunting people. I do think that they're definitely going to coerce uh, because they already do that, right? But I do think that they're going to coerce as many people into the cities if they're established in this model, right? As they can, of course, because that's power for them. That's workforce. That's labor. That's all that stuff. And that's why the systems in place maintain these, this bread and circus and shit, make it enticing. Same thing with the people that got the boop, boop. That That's the same thing. It's still like this, make sure you do this and make sure and it's more ridiculous and more ridiculous, but it becomes so to us as well. And so the thing about it is, is that maybe that's part of this. It's to divide this mental split and why things feel so weird right now is because the split is happening further and further. And it's not a split like race or anything like that. What it is, is it's a split in lifestyle choice. So it's got nothing to do with race or, you know, sexual affiliation or or orientation or anything like that. It just has to do with, okay, do you want to live free and out in the, you know, nature and do more things that commune with nature and on all of that stuff? Or do you want to live in this, you know, shit city and just have everything like fed to you and all your rights stripped and we'll just make all your decisions for you. It just seems like that maybe, and that's why I got so excited about the model. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you guys go live over there. And then maybe all these places that they keep us out of now is to keep the douchebags out later for whenever they do roll this out. And that's now what we have access to. It's like, they're keeping it safe for us. Mm. You know, maybe it's that like fun, you know, maybe they'll be <laughs> that awesome. I don't know. I like it. No, I'm, I'm with it. I think that's, it's, you know, it's interesting being in the conspiracy, you know, mindset and only have interacted with like, an actual conspiracy a couple times you know what i mean like we we're we're really like looking at these things from a speculative and historical basis like these are things that we're we're discussing based on other things that other people have said you know right. we weren't at 911 on on ground zero we weren't in you know, dallas when jfk got shot but we can discuss those things and gain you know some insight and and have greater clarity for the world that we're in and when it comes to something like like that, I think, you know, we all know what it's like to be in a city and we all know what it's like to be, for the most part, I hope, in a nature, natural space. And the contrast is pretty apparent. And I think that's kind of the energy trap, you know, more people are born into that disconnected state then things like football, then things like gambling, then things like, you know, drinking in excess and, 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 you know, wasting time. I would say it's a waste of time. Just kind of like living in revelry for the moment, you know, which is great. I, like I'm all for living for the, the now, but that's because I'm like constantly striving for something, you know, there's this sense of like complacency, but like, happiness and joy in that like oh well we're just all just worker bees and there's nothing that we're you know like when you're in that area it feels like a loose trap right that's the term that i feel like people are are vibing with lately and you know it's not always obvious to the people who are in it you know, and yeah. they, they have like a, a philosophy of like nihilism that they're not really aware that they have, you know, like yeah. they don't even know that that's what they're, they're vibing with this kind of nihilistic philosophy. 
And I think what you and I are idealists. You know, we see the world for the ideals, not for yeah. the, the lows. We see it for the highs and what we can strive for. And, and being an artist or being a creative, you know, you kind of want to put something out there and, and always constantly make it as best as you can and improve upon that, you know, whatever it is, music, art, a podcast, right? And I think there's something about conformity that this city brings to where that even that is suffocated a little bit, you know, because it's just something about being in a crowd, you know, this crowd that it doesn't cater to the enlightenment that I think we're seeking through this podcast, the listeners of this podcast, and through the conversations that you've had many with a bunch of brilliant people. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a sense of like, I don't know everything and I could know more, right? I think people are being kind of bred to get that out of them. I don't know. And that's why I feel like there's a hunting down because the empire, maybe it's not a physical hunting down, but the empire as it will, like the ever present empire is never for that sort of enlightenment. They're always looking to turn, you know, you down a dead end. So you never reach that point because there's something so powerful in that, that I think threatens the very core of what is going on with these smart cities, with the empire, with the government, the temporal control, you know, and that's why ley lines, stone rows, all these buildings have become so fascinating for me lately because those objects, those buildings, this, these things on the earth, you know, are literally the skeleton of our living planet, you know, like we both have minerals in our bodies as our skeletons it gives us form. It gives us rigidity and durability. So we're not like a, a slug who can just, you know, unfortunately get stomped on and his whole life is gone in an instant. You know, I was, I was just taking a walking stick, you know, and, and sanding it. And there's this poor little slug on there who got sanded away. And I felt so bad oh. that I like smeared him, you know, but tis the nature of, of its being. And I think the earth is not at all a slug. It's an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complex organism that we're all a part of. And I think as creators or creative uh, beings, we can add to that skeletal structure of the earth in the form of buildings, in the form of stone structures. And I think just like our nervous system kind of converges with our skeletal system in the sense that the pathways that our skeletal system creates are like the, the, the foundation for the other channels of different parts of our bodies and nervous system being the one that carries electricity. It's responsible for our thoughts, you know, and like everybody always talks about how we're however much percent water and so is the earth, right? So there's a very clear reflection here, a microcosm, macrocosm, if you will. Your body, if you understand how it works, you can extrapolate that onto the world around you. So are we starting to get the picture here with the virus and how 
they've warped our sense of how we operate on a microcosm level and a macrocosm level and vice versa on and on and on. There's a sort of uh, negative percussion reflection that goes on where they, they warp our sense of how our bodies work and then they, that in turn warps our sense of how our planet works and in turn warps our sense of how our body works. So I think getting down to that root of agape that I brought up at the beginning and, and understanding yourself on an intimate level, and I mean trusting your intuition over the authority that's been imposed on you when you were born and raised and grew up and we're told, no, you're not smart enough to think for yourself. These books will show you, you know, and you get a book shoved in your face and a pencil in your hand, and you're meant to, you know, follow the orders and, and bow down to that authority, you know, when really your inner self, your inner child, your inner voice is, is always connected to the higher and the all and the, you know, essence or the omnipotence. And I think, you know, people use the term like the Akashic record to discuss that, right? But what I've seen in a hermetic way is like when you understand things on a microcosm level and extrapolate that to a macrocosm, that is a big, that's a big tool in the toolbox. Being able to use that hermetic law was essential to where I was and where I am now, you know? So I think how the ley lines, how the skeletal structure of the planet works, I'm not 100% certain on it yet. But given what we know about our skeletal structure, I think it's very important, you know? And I think that there's a certain manipulation that's gone on with buildings where they create structures that we gravitate around. And it's like a, you know, prophecy. They're, they're like prophesizing what the future that they want it to be and then putting it into action, you know? And I think that's what's so interesting about the whole virus thing. It's like, it fits right into the, the climate change stuff and this idea of like an infection or, you know, and, and really I think the term parasite is the most important one to use virus. No, but parasite. Yes, there is clearly a parasite, here mm. in the human collective consciousness and in the planet, it's not a virus. It's a parasite. It's this being that exists because the rest of the organism is in a state of um, dis-ease, right? Yeah. I think that's primarily what we're dealing with and why they put so much emphasis on the idea of a virus or a foreign invader that's harming us is because it fits in psychologically to that model of authority and control paradigm that they've presented to us for however many hundreds of years in order to keep us, you know, as sheeple. <laughs> but the parasite model versus the virus model, I think, brings more cl uh, clarity to it because we understand now that our state of disease is not uh, fatal. It's not, you know, it's not infinite. It's totally, there's a solution and it's removing that parasite or bringing that parasite, you know, out of the, the homeostasis of the whole, you know, because 
its presence is like magnetizing the rest of the organism into a disease state. I mean, does that mean parasites shouldn't exist? I don't know. I'm not going to, you know, they exist for a reason, but I think on a huge, huge macrocosm level, there is like a parasitic planetary force here on the planet doing something and I don't know if the only solution is to like eject it out into space or out, <laughs> out past the the dome, you know. However you want to, yeah, whatever you think it is, right? whatever yeah. your model is for the world, you know. I think that is more true than this idea of like a virus, and you know, it's it's kind of like the virus is a great metaphor for the ultimate lie, and it's kind of like the great Hegelian dialect, but on a huge scale, right? We talk about problem, reaction, solution all the time, where they create the problem, we as a populace, the mass populace, that eighty percent we were talking about responds. And then they're like, oh, well, we'll just do this. And a lot of it has to do with stripping you of your more more things that make you authentic and you. I won't even say your rights and freedoms because those should be innate. So, but what's interesting about this model is that it works on a huge scale. Number one, you lie to them. The problem is, is that they don't know who they really are, or what this place really is. So you lie to them at their core. And it only takes a few generations to do this. There was this interesting study with monkeys I'll tell you about here in a second. But it's interesting that then your problem turns into the reaction of, well, then we have disease. We have these issues in society. We have these divides against all of us, this unauthenticity that we gravitate towards simply because we don't know what we really are while we're here, but someone else does know this and they're the ones that put the control system in place. And then the solution to that is, is to then further push this totalitarian thing. So it's like that model, but on a huge scale having to do with everything. It's not even in these microcosms because as above, so below. So maybe that idea as above would also be on the biggest scale possible, which is everything. So the study about monkeys and why this is interesting whenever we talk about people who uh, lie to us about our past and we don't really know where we come from or who we are, but someone else does. There's a study done to where they put, I think, four monkeys in a cage with a ladder leading up to the top of the cage where there were bananas suspended at the top. Okay. Now what happened was, is when one monkey went for the, on the ladder, he climbed it to get up to the bananas. He the scientists or the researchers sprayed the other monkeys that were off of the ladder with cold jets of water and just made them miserable and freaked out until they grabbed that monkey and pulled him down and beat the piss out of him, right? So then what happened was is the next time any monkey went up there for that, they grabbed the monkey and beat the piss out of him because they got sprayed with the water and they could remember that. They pulled one monkey away, then another monkey would come in and then it would repeat the same process. Now, eventually, there were no monkeys that had been sprayed with water whatsoever, in this cage, but all of them beat the piss out of any monkey that climbed that ladder to get to those bananas. So what's interesting about this is that we don't even know why we react the way that we do. We don't even know what the purpose of the way that we're feeling is. And now I think a lot of folks like me and you, it's intuitive that something's not right here, that there's something better uh, that we can explore as far as a concept and everyone else is really not only asleep, but completely opposed to discomforting themselves with the idea of changing the perfect system that's that they've got, right? And so whenever you look at models like this on scales that big, that's why we question the things like the shape of the earth and shit. That's why we question like what the fuck is going on here, you know? It's because we get to a place in our research, and I'm sure with your you're the same way. You get to your place here and you're like okay, well, maybe all of it's fucking bullshit. And maybe they're lying about everything, you know? And then what are we? And then you're left to your own devices to figure that out on your own. And it's interesting, man. It's just an interesting model 
Uh, and I'm glad you pointed it out. So that's really cool. Well, and, you know, thank you for adding to it because you're reminding me, you know, that 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 little allegory that I put out there was incomplete. And I think you're absolutely right that that viruses are analogous to lies in many ways, you know, and, and I think that, you know, everything I've learned about them is that they're RH, you know, they're these RNA type, like non-organic things that attach to organic things to complete that DNA structure because it's missing. It's like one strand and, and, and in theory, if it had two, it would be a more complex organism. Thus, that is its, you know, life cycle. It goes, it, it tries to combine and, and grow itself. How true that is, I don't know. But I think when we're getting into the science of, of DNA and genes and all of this stuff, it is very murky and it comes back to some weird, weird stuff from ancient times, you know, <laughs> where they're talking about chimeras. They're talking about you know, creating man and, and it being, you know, sort of a weird Dr. Moreau process with like yeah. parts of animals, you know, but I think what we're really talking about there is alchemy and how we are, you know, one part mineral, one part vegetable, another part animal and a fourth part, you know, God or creation, or, you know, if you want to look at from the elements, you know, where air, fire, water, earth, and ether, you know? I think no matter what culture you're looking at, there's a sort of holistic understanding there as to the kind of collective nature of reality where we're like a sum of all of the parts. And I think adding certain materials like graphite that could possibly blacken the gold that is our soul's potential to that lead saturnian state that could be an element here you know i don't i'm not sure i'm not you know again trying to like insert fear where there isn't a need for it but that definitely feels like part of it it feels to me like the people that we've trusted as doctors have a take in the holistic model of healing and inverted it and then B suppressed anybody who wasn't following that inversion. Now within that, there's been a lot of great things done. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have been helped by hospitals, but I don't think that it's, it's anything different than what those holistic doctors could have done if their processes weren't inverted and then suppressed. Like me, I have a, you know, a part in my wrist made out of cobalt chrome because I broke my wrist on a skateboard. You know, like I regret that. I want to get that thing out. I feel like it's, you know, not really a part of my, my body, you know, but that choice was pushed upon me by the hospital in that state of pain. And I went with it, you know, and I, I do regret it in some ways, but I think that, you know, possibly they were right, possibly they were wrong. There's like an actual experience there for me where I'm torn. I'm not just somebody who's observing this from the outside. Like I am a victim of the medical malpractice industry 
Or another way to look at it is that I've been healed by the medical industry, right? <laughs> you know, there's yeah. two ways to look at it. But either way, that thing they put in my wrist, not cheap, probably more expensive than my car. And, uh, and, and B, like, you know, it's, it's cobalt, like comes from Africa, you know, in like a mine, like some kid probably helped mine this out of the ground, you know, an ore that they went and refined and turned into cobalt because cobalt doesn't degrade inside of a, you know, it's, it's, it's biocompatible. It's one of these biocompatible minerals like titanium, you know, is another one that they use. I think when you see that and you start to understand the whole picture of things, you know, it's, it can leave you with an unsettling feeling, but at the same time, there's that reverse that like, oh, wait, everything is kind of organic too. Like even the computers we're using are made from things that come from the earth. So, so not, you know, not everything has that moral component. I think it's, it's us as the, you know, interactor or the creator that has that moral component that gets added to it. And I think it's important I guess for us to not equate that moral component with the objective when it's really a subjective thing in the sense of like, it's, it's you, you're bringing that element or whoever interacted with it too is bringing that element. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't evil people out there, but like if you're vibrating on love, there is no interaction with evil possible. In my opinion, I think love supersedes that. And it even supersedes like the materials that per were possibly created for malintent. I mean, a weapon is a great example of that. A weapon can hurt somebody and ruin some a family's life and, and destroy people's lives. But at the same time, it can protect someone's life. It could save someone's life. And I think that's like the the moral dilemma of our age and of our like use of all of these materials and what the powers that be want is for less and less and less people to be in on that decision because yeah. the more people that are in on that decision, the more it's going to gravitate towards love. That's why they're just trying to control it down to the smallest group of people because they're the most manipulative and are manipulatable and they're able to, you know, keep these people in that fear mindset. And if those fear mindset people are the people at the top of the pyramid, well, then the whole world's kind of pushing towards that way, you know. So I don't know if I'm very coherent with my point, but maybe you can sort of back me up there. <laughs> I, I back you up a hundred percent and you were very coherent with it. Cause I, I hear you now back to the medical specifically, whenever uh, people talk about, so Greg Carwood actually, and I'm not going to tell his story guys, go check out his show, but he just had a little girl. Congratulations to him and his wife. They're doing great. Uh, they had kind of an interesting time with that, but again, I'm not going to tell his story, but even then the very natural, very holistic body, if it weren't for meth, things would have been a lot different or for, you know, traditional medicine, things would have been a lot different. So what's interesting about this whole perspective is, is that we want the most natural thing possible, right? But I think what we're really looking for is the most authentic and the most honest. So the problems that we have as who we are, like I, I definitely will include myself in that is going to like a hospital or something is that we understand a lot of lies that occur there, but there's also some truths there too. But the way we feel about the system and the lies outweighs our ability to trust 
the average person within that system that it's going to be for our best benefit or that at least something nefarious isn't going to happen, right? I mean, they charge you $10,000 for a bag of saline, right? Even that. It's like, come on. You know, it's just shitty. But there's there's a lot of distrust within that. But what I what I hope that we're all moving to is this place to where we can incorporate these ideas with each other rather than battle each other. But it's all based on whatever works best. And all of that is subjective, meaning that now you're offering opportunities to everyone. No one, there's no one cure for everything. Everyone operates in a different way. Everyone requires something different to be healed. And especially even in order, because now we're talking about mental health. All of those things play a factor in the physiological makeup of your body. And so to viruses and things like that, those are in some people's observations, some scientists, some doctors. I think that it's, you know, we talk about terrain versus germ. The germ theory kind of lends itself to just on its origins, on how it's pushed so hard, on what occurs when that happens. As long as you zoom out from it just a little bit, you can see what's wrapped up in that narrative that you're icky, you're dangerous. And that's what is interesting just to now go to the transhuman part of it with that whole thing as well, because it seems like the less authentic they want everything, the better off they are. But we crave authenticity. And so that's where really like this, this split will occur in the whole transhuman thing, but also, and Jim Gale and I were talking about this, we don't want to throw all the technology out. It's not that it's bad. We could use it in the future. We're using it now. We kind of work within the matrix, but what you want to do is get rid of the matrix and keep all their toys, like keep all the shit, you know, because there are people out there that do want to, there are great nurses that are just out there to help. And there are great people out there that are designing technologies to do wonderful things for humanity and that don't have a nefarious end to them. The problem is, is the people that fund them, who owns them, and then what you know that they're probably appropriated for. I heard on Matrix Assassins, great show, by the way, these, they were talking about Dell computers and how they gave a Dell computer to all of these kids as a free computer, but it really served as a data collection and spying you know, apparatus for the households of every individual that they gave those computers to. So it's, it's kind of like that. It's like, well, what do we trust? You know, we dig the computers. It's a nice thing, but it wasn't done altruistically. They gave people a computer so that they could be spied on, not to do something nice for these children who maybe, you know, get an education out of it as well. But that it's got a nefarious end to it, which is where this lack of trust comes in. So I'm with you on the split of like, do we trust the medical community? How do we integrate it with more homeopathic strategies? And I think just really the answer is just everybody to be honest with each other. We take the best of all of it because none of it's hundred percent right. And none of it hundred percent works for anyone. So you just get a little bit more honest with yourself society, you know? Well, and, and that's the, that's the big, you know, the economics topic. And it's like, you know, are we living in a, an economy that incentivizes honesty? I would say probably yeah. not. Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> so that's, that's, I think one of the larger issues, but also governmente is totally responsible for that in so many ways. I mean, just the, you know, and everything I've been learning about the indigenous cultures here and the way they handled, you know, their affairs with one another, wasn't all perfect either i mean they would fight each other kill each other do all kinds of stuff and come together in great you know times of like peace and like huge huge like you know a confederacy as they called it of, of people who who came together for good things you know and i think that that spirit was sort of hijacked a little bit in the founding of this country. That's some of what I've been looking into and it's all sort of new to me. I don't want to come out and talk about a lot of it, but I definitely think that we're finding out more and more that 
the authenticity that you're talking about, I think it's something that permeates from the land. I think that 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 skeleton that I was talking about, I think they hijack it with these buildings to create that disconnection and thus that unauthenticity or, you know, phoniness <laughs> is more permissible for the average person and they they can get into that sort of sort of manipulated reality that the empire creates whereas in the past when that skeletal structure was weaker people were like no i'm i'm gonna go start my own group i'm gonna start my own community you know and now they've kind of like in the past 50 years they've kind of like pushed people away from that with the whole idea of like a cult always ending up as a bad thing, which I don't disagree with. I think there's so many examples of cults that have ended very terribly. So I'm not, I'm not pushing for that, but I think there's definitely an aspect of like intentional community living that you don't hear about. Like there's all kinds of intentional communities across the United States where people come together for, uh, you know, the, common goals of just living in a, a place with food and and happy people and 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 everybody's getting along i mean and it's not race it's not race based it's not religious based it's just human based you know and they don't show that they never show that they they show people you know in, in million dollar houses who are isolated from each other you know and they say that's the ideal we need to strive for that you need to strive to be in the, the in the mansion and the yacht and the jet liner, you know, and they never show you these people who are living excellent lives. I mean, from when we had our first conversation, it sounds to me like you have a very cool setup over there. And I Great. think, yeah. And like, that's something that people should strive for, you know, is, is being connected to the land, having self-sufficiency, having a community, depending on your personality. Some people like being a little more isolated or a little, a little more space. I'm probably one of those people for sure. I don't know if that's just a reaction from where I've grown up being kind of in the megalopolis as I call it, but it's like, it's definitely a lot more available than they'd like us to, to think, I think. Completely agree. And I think that what you crave is the option of isolation, but the access to people when you want it. And that's the same thing that I like. <clears throat> we have that out here, but we live in, you know, what we prefer more than the percentage of, as if we would have to escape to it. Like a lot of people do, right? They leave the city to go camping for the weekend, but they're kind of stuck there. Uh, not, not really, cause you can do whatever you want, but they feel stuck there. And so that's why they haven't moved yet. But then you go back to the city and then you're involved in that environment. We just did the flip flop. We can go in the city anytime we want and we do that, but it's like, we get to have it like we want, which is in small doses. It's perfect. It's like, I'm not forced to go. I'm just like, and all right, that was fun. Now let's get back out, you know, and go hang out with some donkeys. So we're probably going to wrap it up here, man. I feel like I could talk to you forever about everything. We didn't even get to like the quickening and the observer effect. And I just think that you and I just should do this every now and then, man, uh, to unravel the uh, mysteries of the universe, or at least talk about them a little bit. I'm down. Thank you. Yeah, this was definitely fun. I didn't know that those were on the, on the, the docket for topics to talk about but anytime you want to have me on to get into that i think the observer effect is is something i've played around with in my life and and i've called it the law of attraction but really i mean if if we're gonna 
really get down to it, it's all the same thing, you know? It's like you put awareness or intention into something and that's it. Like that's everything you do in the world at any given moment, you're putting awareness and intention out. Like if you're not in control of that, then someone else might be. And you should consider like who is and like why you're doing what you're doing and whether those things are helping you with those higher intentions that listening to the expanding reality podcast is starting to bring into the picture of like, Oh, this is possible. I don't have to work this shitty nine to five job and I can create a life outside of the grid for myself. And, and that's to me, the observer effect is like observing the reality that you want to live in and then getting there because you kind of, harmonize with that frequency rather than the frequency of your immediate circumstances. Mark Steves, the host of my family thinks I'm crazy creator of the absolutely incredible alt media United. And I will be linking all of the ways to find you down in the show notes An incredible conversation, brother. I can't thank you enough. And you are welcome here any damn time you want. Thank you, sir. And I will most likely put this out as a swap cast a couple weeks after you release it. And, and so for folks listening on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, please go over and show some love to my man, Brandon Thomas, host of the Expanding Reality podcast. And you know, you can find him on altmediaunited.com. Thank you so much, man. Just definitely do this again, brother. Right on. Be sure to subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can get bonus content there or on rockfin.com. And every episode is streamed live on Telegram. You can go on our Telegram in the episode description, sign up for the chats, sign up for the channels. All you have to do is click the link and you're in. Join. You become a member. It's that simple. If you don't have Telegram already, download it. And when I go live, I'll send a message out to the whole channel. People can listen in on the podcast while it's happening. And if you have any questions that come up, you can ask me or the guest any questions that come to mind live and we will answer them at the end of each episode. So look forward to that. As this starts happening more and more, I expect to get more questions, and maybe we can make a nice segment of it towards the end of the conversation. Uh, That's not the case for this one. Uh, So join on Telegram, Patreon, or Rockfin, and support us with a one-time donation. Support us with a monthly donation. It's up to you. This is a value-for-value podcast. And I really could use the help. I just bought a new laptop so that I can do more, stream more, and all the things, etc., etc. So follow us in all the places. Let's go, people. We're past the big 100 and on to 1,000 more.